What's going on, everybody? Back at it again with the rest of your Perception podcast. I got a very special guest today. He is a graduate from FSU and FIU. He is a biomedical engineer. That's why I wanted his interesting ass on the show. You got to listen to this guy talk. So he's a biomedical engineer, and he's been awarded three patents. My guest today, in the biomedical field, my guest today is Joe Desers. It's Desersi, because Joe's Italian. If you're Italian, you get to say it that way. If you're not, just say Desers. But you were telling me it's it's really Desisi, but from when your family was was in Ellis Island. When they, yeah, my grandfather came to Ellis Island. They changed our last name. Yeah. yeah, see, they did that with with my family. My 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 great grandfather's name was Markle, and they made his name Mark, so he would fit in a little bit better. So, I'm just having a little bit of issues with hearing you, so I can't really hear you very well. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Is that All right, better? right on. Yeah, we're good to go. Joe, man, I really wanted you on here because when you were talk when um. When I first met you, when, when you started training here and training with Casey, the uh, she told me what you did, and I'm like, that's freaking crazy. So you're a biomedical engineer, and you create implants for people inside their body as far as, like, go ahead. you. I'm going to fuck it up, so you go ahead and you, you tell know, me. Actually, growing up, I struggled trying to explain what we do as a biomedical engineer because you can do so many things. But uh, at this time, what I mainly do is I work on bi- um, electromechanical medical devices, and I mainly focus on implants. So these days I'm working on orthopedic implants. So um, basically I take Bluetooth devices, I put them in the body, and I, I, I'm addicted to sensors. I really love sensor technology. So I'm working all sorts of te- sensor technology inside and outside of the body. Um, and most of the time I'm working on like surgical aids for orthopedic surgeons, but also do wearables for um you know for athletes to kind of assess gait and things like this and pre-op and post-op wearables so um we could do a, as a biomedical engineer i've done all sorts of things right I, I didn't just do sensor tech or implants i also worked on you know hematology equipment i worked on production lines making sutures um you, you really could do a lot of things with a biomedical engineering degree so when you what made you want to get into this? Like, what was your... I, uh, it's the weirdest thing, actually. I knew what I wanted to do when I was, like, eight years old. <laughs> I told yeah, everyone you said... I want to be a biomedical engineer, and they're like, what, what is that, first of all? <laughs> because back up a little bit, when I first when we first started talking, you said uh, growing up, I had, I had a problem telling people this. I'm like, what? growing up? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you had, yeah, I, <laughs> I couldn't explain I it. I wanted to be a biomedical engineer, or I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. I think I just picked career with the longest name to impress people when I was nine years old but uh, for me I think what kind of set my road my path was uh, my father had leukemia when I was growing up so I grew up giving him um, neutrogen shots or maybe back then it was interferon it was the weirdest thing like, really yeah I grew up and I think in 1995 is when they started doing the, uh, the transplants for leukemia patients that would completely cure them so I was about like maybe 10 years old when my dad finally got the full transplant and cured his leukemia. So up until that point, until I was about 10, from 5 to 10, I was like daily help. I loved giving my dad the uh, 
the interferon shot. Okay. Super weird, but and he had that. He had a bunch of medical equipment at the house. He had, you know, blood pressure equipment and all sorts of equipment. And I broke half of it. Um, yeah. Trying to figure out how it works, and he would explain it to me. He was nice enough about it, but I think I got addicted with medical equipment when I was younger, and I, I kind of always wanted to. I always thought in my head like I want to help people and, and help my father, and it kind of set me on a path. How how old were you when you started giving him the shots? I was like six, man. I, it was the weirdest thing. I don't know where he was getting them from or how we got the treatments. I think it was really he was an early adopter for sure. But I was really young, and I, I saw him doing it one time. I was like, "That's so cool! I want to do that." Really? Where was you injected in his shoulder, back, stomach? stomach? It was weird, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was weird. But and what kind of shot was he getting? And if you're in, what is that? which is a blood cell disease and I think it, it, it prevented growth of some of the uh, the white blood cells that were that would kind of promote the disease and cause a lot of the symptoms but it, it wasn't a full cure it would help prolong the life of patients right it wasn't a full wow cure, but it really was a great treatment but I think I think in that time when I was like six or seven that's when I saw my father get really sick you know my dad was like my baseball coach and I did a lot of sports and he was always there kind of see someone get sick and deteriorate and you kind of want to help them and I think that's what started me on an early path of wanting to help people it's funny because every single um wow. every single kid in my family works in the medical field both my sisters are doctors my brother works in the medical field as well it, it's no weird. way I think that that had a major impact on us seeing our father sick growing up wow yeah damn so that set me on the path and I think it was I know that that kind of set me on the path towards being an engine, a biomedical engineer, and I just, I fell in love with taking everything apart, and I was lucky enough to have a father that showed me how to work on cars, and showed me how to fix everything that was around me. I just, I, I always wanted to know how things worked. I, I could tell. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. I see this soundboard, and I want to take it apart and play with it, because <laughs> if there's something I don't understand, I want to take it apart and understand it, and I had that from a... My poor mother. I mean, I broke everything in the house. I started with oh god. I, I started with remote car, remote control cars. Then I took apart every single phone in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and I maybe put a quarter of the things back together correctly. I started soldering when I was like six years old. You know, because did you dad, really? Yeah, because I, I would rip the wires out, and my dad would be like, "Okay, now you got to fix it." And I was like, "I don't know how." That's awesome. Um, so I started learning how to solder to fix all these things I would destroy. Um, so yeah, I, I got set on an early path on becoming. I think I was. I knew I was going to be an engineer, and I knew I wanted to work in the medical field. So it kind of paired perfectly for me to know I wanted to be a biomedical engineer, work on medical devices. You know, that's that's pretty interesting. And you, oh, just to backtrack a little bit with with Joe. The reason why I'm saying this, I got a new pair of headphones. Well, two new sets of headphones here, and they weren't given. They were giving us some issues, and they still are. So we had to switch back to the regular mics, but Joe was just trying to, oh, like, switch this, switch this, and he's trying to unplug this and do this, and I, I could see him, his wheels just start turning, and I, I wanted to get the podcast going, but he wanted to start working on this, but I had to, I had to slow it down a little bit. When the duct tape, an avocado. <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted to go to town on this thing, so I could tell that this guy likes to take things apart and, and fix them and do whatever. But it's it's pretty cool, and that's a pretty cool story that how you got interested in that, and yeah, that took a long time to uh, develop, honestly. And you were I, I was terrible at some 
things I would do when I was younger. Really, yeah, but it takes a long time to develop that ability to actually do things correctly. Yeah, but you've been doing it for a while, man. You started out when you were young, messing things up, yes, figuring it out. Yeah, I did. You were talking about sensors, so, and you were talking about athletes and improving their gait and things like that. How would a sensor come into play with that? Well, right now, one of the projects I I work on actively is a wearable project. That how do I describe this? So I started. I have a really weird job right now. I got into technology development, which is like the dream of most biomedical engineers or engineers in general to get into this spot where it's more like a couple of guys and girls sitting around just thinking up weird ideas over beers and seeing if you can do it. Get out of here. Yeah, I mean, you get a bunch of budget <laughs> from your company to play and see if things work. That's what technology development is. I guess you're right. So we got in this weird space where we just kind of started thinking up weird things. My boss and myself and another electrical engineer that um, we have in our department and we started thinking of cool things to do with some of the sensors that we already have and um, we came up with this idea of a wearable um, well we worked on the idea with some of our other marketing team but we ended up with this really cool idea for a wearable and um, what it is is you know it's like your watch which is a wearable which tracks your movement okay right now this is more of a and I can't talk too much about it just in case no it's a release product so um, yeah, I have to stop myself sometimes because it's really proprietary, some of the things I do. But this one's okay. released as of six months ago. We, we released it. But we worked on a we worked on it with a car company that r- rhymes with Schmicklaren. Um, <laughs> I can't say who it is, but that's who it is. And they actually have a medical department. They wanted to work on this. So I ended up in the U.K. Um, working on this a little bit with them. And um, what it en- ends up being is, so it's this patch that you stick onto your, 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 uh, your leg and kind of on your lower leg and one on your upper leg, and it tracks pre-op, post-op um, patients. So I work mainly on like orthopedics on joints, but we're gonna try and adapt this towards, uh, towards athletes and towards uh, more than just patients that need like a knee replacement. Um, because we do a lot of, of um, biomechanical studies, like kinematic studies. So I have a big tra- camera system in my office that I can put a bunch of sensors on someone's body. It's like what you see in the movies where set up a bunch of cameras and you have them do walking and running yeah and track their position so i have all that equipment um so we go and we play we get a bunch of patients to do a, a clinical trial and we'll see how we get this sensor technology which you can just it's a, it's a battery powered technology and then how, how can we convert this little sensor that you stick on to assess someone's gait whether they're moving correctly what's their range of motion whether they have too much of an impact are they a heel striker Things like this, um, I think in the next few years, you're going to start seeing really cool technology like this come out for a- athletes. It's big. And I think really? they're gonna start, we're going to start seeing game changers where you don't have to go to a crazy uh, PT office to assess what kind of uh, runner you are, if you have any kind of gating issues, to try and optimize your abilities. You can kind of buy these off-the-shelf devices. Wow. A couple hundred dollars. And... You'll wear them for a run, and it'll be able to tell you your heel striking, your strides are this long, your range of motion. is. It'll basically be able to make a little video of what your run looks like. Wow. And what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. So that's one of the cool sensors that are one of the cool technology we're, we're working on, which takes a lot, right? It's not just electronics and sensor technology. It has a bunch of algorithms to assess. It's an IMU, which tracks, like, uh, movement. And what does IMU stand for? International <laughs> Inertial... Uh, <laughs> inertial motion unit uh it just it's 
it's a little chip that we put on a device, and it, it's what it's what you have in your phone that can tell when you when you turn it left and right, and, and oh. it tracks like motion. So we have a bunch of those in the sensors that you stick onto your body, and that's what's actually giving us the data. But the uh, the AI that we're kind of building behind it, this like this machine learning that we're building behind it, that's that's the hard part. And I'm not good at that, so I can't even speak to that. Yeah, but I can tell you it's incredible what you're able to do with it ton of data that's coming in and you feed it through this loop that outputs like you know how to optimize and, and what this person's doing and how to improve it it's really cool stuff that is awesome and what does mclaren have to do with this like what are they doing they have a medical department and they go like hey guys they uh do it we wanted a big name and we wanted something really sexy so when you want something sexy and you want a big name you dump a bunch of money at a like that that kind of wants to break into the medical field and we started kind of a joint venture with that company and that's awesome ended up, i will say one of my downfalls is that i can make something really cool and really great but i'm not the sexiest engineer out there most aren't you're a pretty sexy engineer i don't make the sexiest device <laughs> <laughs> so, what's a sexy device i'm just curious joe um, to you I can I, tell you okay, what a, I'll tell you. I'll give you an example. Like right now, I'm wearing a nice, beautiful Samsung watch. It's all silver and chrome. If it was up to me, okay. it, it would probably be like have batteries all over the place. <laughs> really ugly. It had so much extra sensors because if you get if you give something to an engineer, they want to optimize and get the most out of it. But you get the marketing involved, and they want it to be sleek and sexy and gotcha. all these features that you have to kind of. You're always settling, and you're always giving up space for what the uh, the marketing or the surgeon wants. So, ah. Um, when you when you get someone like McLaren involved, you end up with a product <laughs> that's, that really it doesn't compromise much because they do a, they did a really good job on making this really nice, compact, sexy device. And you know, also they did really well at making some really cool promotional videos um, because obviously we had we, we want to sell this thing, and our target market is the industry so you know you got a physical therapist we want to sell them this device that pre-op and post-op you give to new patients or you give to athletes it'll help them to That's assess awesome. at home that is how so it, cool it's something that you would take home you know you wear at night and it's wireless charging it's super cool so that's that's one of the many projects right that's not my favorite part but that's a really cool project that actually could have it could end up in in your home yeah so i think that's one of the cool projects i Anything with sleeping or any sleep monitoring? You guys do that, or have you thought about that, or is that something that you guys can do? So or so you do wear it during your sleep, um, and we do monitor some things like movement. But I don't. I hope we don't get into the aspect of trying to track sleep. Yeah, you probably wouldn't want to like. You probably wouldn't like that. That doesn't seem like much action. No. A lot of waiting around. No. Yeah. I did. I did some uh, some brain research while I was in, um, and I did a lot of work in an optical imaging lab. Yeah. And I did a lot of autism studies when I was there. So it's kind of going back to what you asked when you asked, what does a biomedical engineer do? It's really like anything that applies engineering towards the medical field, right? When I started off, I really, I started off with uh, optical imaging, and I loved it. And so we, we would go to Miami Children's Hospital, and I built this uh, this brain. Im I didn't build the whole imager. I kind of built the, the human, human interface aspect of it. So I built like a brain cap that has all these sensors on it. This is one of your patents, right? This is, yeah, this is one aspect of, I did two, pa two, there's two parts to that patent. There's a brain imager and there's a breast imager because we're also, we did a mammography uh, uh, imager as well for breast cancer. So um, 
I forgot how I got into that, but that's just explaining like all the different things a biomedical engineer could do. And that was like my first, when I dipped my toes into, that's really when I started dipping my toes into to engineering, was uh, I, I, I paired up with this amazing professor, uh, Dr. Gaudavardi at, at Florida International. And she, uh, she put me in her lab and basically just dropped me into the deep end and said, hey, I need all this stuff, go figure out how to do it. And that's when I was like, oh, well, I need to figure out how to put electronics in the body and on the body and, and, and build all these cool things. And it got really fun and I got a bunch of research articles published, you know, a ton of data that goes along with it. And it's, it's really interesting stuff, difficult stuff. Yeah, it says you were published in eight peer review articles. Yes. And yeah, whenever, so when I was in university, I got, I ended up in a great lab, like I said, and we, we did a lot of publications through a lot of the brain studies. We were trying to, um, to work on autistic uh, children and kind of trying to predict autism in younger in adolescents. So we had a brain imager on kids and I took like uh, 30 or 40 kids in the study. And we had this imager on them that would tell us what regions of the brain that were lighting up when we had them watching certain videos. Um, so that was one aspect. So a lot of articles wow. come out of that trying to like, you know, promote or trying to uh, get some of this, this research out there. And then we worked on that and we also worked on, uh, on breast imaging as well, which is something that's a whole new device we were trying to kind of get to market, which is a breast imager that doesn't use radiation, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm very against radiation and CT scans and x-rays. I'm really against it. Really? So I'm a big fan of MRI and optical imaging and ultrasound. Those are good. Those are not bad uh, EM radiation. But when you start talking about radiation, which is like CT scans and x-rays to assess whether or not you have cancer and it causes cancer, I think that um, a lot of people, a lot of the uh, the numbers are downplayed on, on what can actually be carcinogenic and, and cause problems. Really? So, like, x-ray is a lot worse than what people think it is? Not that it's worse. It's that, you know, you go, say you're in the hospital for two weeks and you get ten x-rays because, like, I got in a bad car accident. I got airlifted, airlifted to Jackson. and um, Ryder? Jackson? Yeah. yeah. Ryder saved my life. You got to go to Ryder. Ryder saved my brother's life, too. Wow. I was in the same bed as my brother. What? Crazy stories, but, um, uh, I want to go back to that yeah. story, but go ahead. Just finish your story right now. Yeah, so say you're in the hospital for five days like I was. I had pneumothorax, and I had some broken ribs and a couple other things. They came in every single day and x-rayed me. Yeah. Know? So that's where it starts to become a problem. Is like, you know, they give you the numbers for one x-ray, but they don't give you the numbers when you're getting prolonged x-rays over a 10-day period. And then, it, you know, you get a CT scan with this major dose like a thousand x-rays maybe more wow one sitting it's just not good for you you know you look at pilots who get uh, a larger dosage of, uh, of radiation since they're in the sky more often. yeah studies show that that they get they have more females they have more more of their children are, are women so they're definitely being affected by this radiation that, that, that's but why why is it making I, them have women kid females i don't get that i i can't tell you the why i can just tell you what the <laughs> you know, it's one of those studies that looks at the data and good it tells lord you, that's weird it tells you what's going on i'm just um so yeah i was really big into imaging when i was in circle back i was really big into imaging when i was in college i loved it um and i really loved trying to promote um more of the uh more of the imaging that wasn't causing issues like x-ray which is an outdated technology we don't need it anymore it's just the cheapest technology so we use it but we have mri we have all these other methods that will give you bone, usually use MRI for soft tissue and use CT and x-ray for bone and hard tissue. 
and it's just super cheap, but yeah, it's, in my opinion, it's just not good to get that much radiation, even smaller or large doses. So I try and avoid it. And I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of trying to promote technologies that don't utilize it. You know, that's awesome. That's cool. I mean, are you guys anything currently working on that, or is there anything? I mean, you should, we have this like not like you said MRI, you like ultrasound. Um, is there anything they can do to get rid of X-ray or? Yeah, um, I think that. Or replace replace it, I should say. In the next in the next few years, you're going to start to see some crazy outputs from ultrasound. Ultrasound is really advanced, and it's getting into this place where it can give you really high resolution imaging, uh, very similar to what. It's an MRI, well, not as much as MRI is going to do. So uh, I'm really optimistic as to what as to what uh, ultrasound is going to be able to do. Um, but optical imaging, which is what I worked on, it was really cool and temporally it's amazing. Like it's high speed. So yeah. You put on these optical images and they give you data really fast and, and real time. But spatially they're not great, so they don't give you good um, positional accuracy. So they don't give you good imaging of like where the tissue is. That's hard to do. Wow. With, with optical. So imaging is a difficult. <laughs> it's really cool. My brother does that. He's a, he does cardiac imaging. So it's a, a very interesting field. And now we're starting to do that in the field. And in, uh, in, at the fire department, we're starting to uh, really? bring ultrasound into the field. It's like a trial test. We're, yeah. we're doing it, and we're bringing it out into the field to see if we can find any bleeds. I think it's a little excessive, but that's, what, that's, the, that's the, the route that we're going. I mean, you I mean, think like if you're a seasoned veteran, you know what you're looking for. And you not even no, no. I mean, the thing is, like, if you're on scene, you want to get that. There's not only so much a paramedic can do. We want to get him on an operating table. That's if you have a, a a big trauma incident, like someone that's really messed up, and there's we don't know if they're internally bleeding, but either way, they got to get there. So we're gonna we're gonna. I think it's gonna take a little bit more time to try to do an ultrasound on them and see what's going on. Again, I never used the machine before, so we'll see. But it's cool. I mean, we're going in that direction, so you never know. It might be. I can I can tell you that I don't care. I'm a big proponent of giving first responders any tools they need because a first responder saved my life. Yeah. I had oh, this is I where was, we're going. I was drowning in my own blood, and I will only. Any decompress. Needle decompression. Yeah, is I got I got in a car accident and. Um, I got out of my. I had a passenger who was a tall guy. I was driving him home. Okay. And I got out of the car to help him because he, he got side. He got hit in the side pretty good. And um, I went to pull him out, and I collapsed as I was walking over. To no the way. Side. Yeah, I, I broke two ribs and they punctured my lungs. So I went down like a sack of potatoes, and um, I woke up. I woke up in the uh, in the ambulance, and when I woke up, it was the clapping, and everyone was covered in my blood, and I was like, "What?" Really. And what had happened is. Me with a needle yeah. Sternum, and I, I guess. Well, he got it in your deal. in your lung, yeah. not in your sternum. Yeah, he got right it right, right below your clavicle. Yeah, right below. He hit the spot perfectly, and I took a major breath, and I woke up immediately, and everyone's clapping, and I'm freaking out, like, <laughs> why are you guys clapping? Holy I, I shit! I was dead. Um, it was quite an experience, and everything slowed down after that, and I, um, in the ambulance, everything kind of like relaxed at that point, and then they still airlifted me. They have to. You're a trauma alert. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and then they still airlifted me to Jackson to ICU. Spent five days there recovering from the pneumothorax. I had a nice blood suitcase with me for five days while my pleural space avoided of all the blood that was in there. Really? 
yeah, I can tell you the most fun sensation I've ever had in my life was drowning with every breath. It was. This was when you were on the floor yeah. after the accident when you went to go help your buddy. Yeah, when I say I went down like a sack of potatoes, I fell, but I didn't like pass out. I was, I actually had, I was in class, and I just got out of class at Florida International Engineering Campus, and I was driving off, and so a bunch of other students in the class were behind me when it happened. I got kind of, cl I clipped somebody, and I went in oncoming traffic and got hit by a van, like T-bone. And so a bunch of students got out to help me. I don't know this. They told me the story after. But they were, like, holding me while I was passed out on the floor or, like, half passed out. And I just kept telling them, like, every breath got shorter. I was like, I'm drowning. Wow. And I remember the feeling. It was a really dark feeling. And I kind of just, like, was complacent. You know, you get to a point where you're like, all right, well, pretty happy I had a good time wow run wow and then you know you wake up in the uh, in the ambulance and it was like i don't know i i don't know if you ever had anyone save your life but it was such a feeling to wow have another chance and have another go and, and have these people over you clapping did you ever meet meet really those guys i didn't i um i couldn't find them actually i tried i tried tracking it was miami dade it was miami dade right i'm pretty yeah, sure it was outside fiu it was a green truck i i couldn't tell you oh okay Wow. Yeah, it was quite a night. Quite a night. I had my brother. Yeah, that's that's their territory. My brother saw it on the news. He saw my car wrecked because I had a souped-up Camaro or a souped-up Mustang at the time. And he, he saw the car on the news, and uh, he's like, "Oh my God, is that my brother's car?" No way! Are you kidding me? He starts calling hospitals in Jackson, where he works now. Jackson is like. He's a doctor over there at Jackson. No, he works. Uh, he's like a manager in um, like the VIP department or whatever. They bring in. Patients. Gotcha. Okay. But he calls in and he um he asks Joe DeSerce there and they're like, well, we can't tell you. He's like, the first time someone said we can't tell you, they didn't say no. Yeah. He's like, what do you mean you can't tell me? Is he there? They're like, we can't tell you. And so he drove wow. and raced over an hour to come and then he sees me in the bed and he freaks out. I was duct taped to a wooden board, which is that's the worst feeling that they had even a wooden board, huh? Yeah, because it was a really bad impact. So I had I had. I had fractures on my jaw and stuff like that when I fell and when we hit. So we were, me and my passenger were both duct taped to a board, wooden board. That was really painful. I don't know why, but they had to keep morphine going on, through us. On the, well, you were on like on a backboard? Like on, 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 not an orange backboard, it was it was wood? Or do you remember? No, you can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I, I they had you on a, they'll have to immobilize you, so they're going to yeah, put you on a backboard. I say wood, but I'm whatever. Okay, I'm all right. I was going to say, because wood's kind of old school. They don't use wood anymore. And Back what, in my day. What year, <laughs> what year was this? Uh, I want to say this had to be like 2007. Yeah, there was, they weren't. They might have been. No, I no, wasn't no, in that field yet. I, I wasn't lucid enough to tell you or not, whether or not it was. Wow, lucid. man. I was, uh, and I don't think it was duct tape either. Yeah, my poor mother. <laughs> my mother. Oh, man. I was in the same. My brother had had an accident. My brother got shot uh, a couple times side stories but uh yeah okay wait can you go into that story or no i won't tell too much of it but my brother um just to finish this up i was go in ahead. the same bed that my brother had been in when he got in his accident and my poor mother walks in and is like seeing me taped to a board and oh I in rider okay up to my hand at rider i see you i'm like hi because i was on morphine I was, oh I my was god out. and i was like sorry <laughs> Oh my god. My brother had already told me. He's like, dude, this is the same bed I was in. I'm like, you're an asshole. Wow. <laughs> no, so my brother um my brother was at FIU. He was still in college and um I 
won't get too much of the story because it's his story, but basically gotcha. he was seeing the wrong person. My brother was a bodybuilder. He was, uh -huh. he was a big dude. Um, and I, he went, he basically went to take care of some guy who he was having problems with, and the guy happened to have a weapon on him. And he pulled the weapon oh my, my God. Five shots into my brother later. Um, my brother ended up at Jackson. And, uh, good God. That was a good two months of my life. So I was, that's why, that's why when you see my resume or whatever, I have FSU and FIU, I had to come down from college. I, I moved down here to be with my brother and my family. My brother, that was some rough times. Damn, man. You know, if you can imagine, he got, he got hit in the tricep, the shoulder, the knee, and the foot. Wow. Um, so his tricep and his shoulder hits, that really caused some damage. Um, so he had a rough road. You know, to, re to recover, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, a really rough road. Holy so, cow. But he pulled through. I mean, it took a couple of years, but I mean, he's married now, and he's back to being a bigger guy. I mean, he lost probably like 50 pounds from being like a 200-pound, like a 5'10 like guy. Yeah. Like 150 pounds after that. Wow. It was, uh, it was an experience for him. But, you know, we were all there at the house, and it was a, it was a fun road. But he was at Jackson for a month. It was a long time, and it just so happened that that same bed he ended up, he was right next to Jackson when it happened. He was in the ICU when it happened, like in the same freaking spot. Damn, man. And it was like, it was like three years earlier, four years earlier from my accident. No, three years earlier. <sighs> so my poor mother. I don't want to have any more kids. I already got one. Now I think about this shit. God. Well, you know, bad news, good news. Good news is we made it. Yeah, I know, but still, man. You guys, man. It's not your fault. Well, it's hap like crazy, crazy shit. And you try to tell me you're not an interesting guy. Like you guys, you're like, ah, I don't know if I should be on your show. Uh, you know, I'm not really interesting. I'm like, come on, you're I, you're definitely interesting. Yeah, well, Damn, Joe. Well, there's a lot of good that comes with that bad, right? My family's been through a lot, but everyone's made it pretty damn well. Yeah. Holy cow. So, to say the least. So. Now, as far as your your articles that you've written, or your was that what is it? Was it your you said articles that were published? I'm I'm confused on that. Yeah, so eight. Back, yeah, the, eight of them. Yeah, so a lot of when you do research, when I was in college, there's one thing, right? You uh, that's what you're working towards most of the times. You're trying to do this these clinical research studies, like I said, with the autistic studies, and with brain imaging or breast imaging. Well, which I actually couldn't do because I couldn't be there when we were doing it because we'd have to recruit college students to do it. And oh. for my classmates that were doing breast imaging on That's funny. But I got all the mesh data after, which was also awkward. Um, <laughs> Wait, what's the mesh data? What do you mean? Uh, I don't know what that is. It's like the 3D imaging, right? Oh, um, okay. So you're kidding. Yeah, as much as <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there for the data acquisition, but at the same time, I have the data after. And I'm, I'm overlaying this, like, real-time... Um, fluorescent imaging data that we have over the breast scans. So I'm just like, yeah, this is great. That's funny. Uh, like, you know, patient three, which we've had like five patients, so I know which one three has to be. But, um, so yeah, we would do clinical studies like that in, in college, and we'd come up with, uh, you know, poster boards for research um, conferences, and then that would end up being a, a published article, which you send into a, a public, um, like a magazine or a a peer-reviewed journal, and uh, it takes like six months, and it's it's quite the process. And what's important about that is when you're in the research, 
and you're doing a lot of research, you want to get published a lot because every year you're trying to get more money from the government to do more research. Gotcha. So, and that plays into that makes sense. how much research you've done, how much publications you had in the last year, um, because that's what they want to see when you're trying to write another grant for yeah. more money. Um, so that's what it looks like in, in, in college. And nowadays, a lot of the research that I do, or a lot of the patents that we're getting, is just like, you know, we, we come up with a really cool device and it works. You know, I've probably got four, three or four devices that either I or my boss have come up with and we kind of follow, we've hand, handheld them through produ product uh, product development and through production and they're, they're, they're real device. It's a really cool thing to see happen. You know, you have a, an idea and now they're, they're marketed devices being sold on the market. Um, Damn. And then those devices go through clinical studies. So I go through a lot of cadaver labs, so I see a lot of dead bodies. It's fun. Yeah. Um, because before I get to put it on a patient, I'm putting it in a gorilla or I'm putting it in... Really? Uh, yeah, or like... Uh, or dead... Most of the time, it's a cadaver. But okay. At some point, you'll do animal studies. Um, for spine, we were doing animal studies, but for knee and shoulder, we do mostly cadaveric studies. But eventually, you got to get into real patients. And all that data gets put together in a really nice research paper that goes through a peer-reviewed journal as well, but most of it's like, uh, you know, game-changing in that industry. So for shoulder, we made a game-changing sensor that really can change the field because we're giving surgeons a lot more data and we have some really cool information that's helping guide the next generation of implants for shoulder. Um, so that's kind of cool stuff that, that you end up getting published for these days or that I'm ending up getting published for these that's awesome at work yeah do you do you guys do anything or i don't know if this has to do with your field uh it's like stem cells and things like that Not, it's funny it's actually something i do want to start working in but um yeah the most the most that we've worked with stem cells is mostly like uh peripherally so we do a lot of this research that we do and a lot of these devices that we make it ends up being um, driven by a board, and the board that we have actually ends up being a lot of surgeons, a lot of the head, the you know leaders in the field, and a lot of them work with stem cells research. And we've got some surgeons that are huge on it. You know, they're addicted to it, and they swear by it that you know a lot of this stem cell research and the stem cell uh, injections that you can use um, are game changers. So we're starting to kind of think about how we can apply some of that technology in some of our devices. Uh, I can't speak about them that much, but I can tell you that it's definitely something that most companies that have the ability are starting to look towards using. Uh, but it's very different. When you talk about mech electronics, when you talk about mech electronics, uh, it's, it's so different from uh, what you kind of expertise you would need for, uh, for stem cell research and stem cell injections. But it is the future, and there's a lot of surgeons that we work with that swear by it and that believe in it. And I know my CEO wants to touch and dabble in it, but whenever I'm approached about it, I can uh, I have to be honest, and I'm like, you know, that's just not my background. My yeah. background is not in, as a biologist. Um, so that's the person that would be involved in that? That. Yeah, most of the people in my company are electrical, mechanical, or biomedical. And most of us do mech electronic implants. You know, when we talk about stem cell, it's a completely different industry. Yeah, so it seems like that. It's hard to get your, your, you know, it's hard to get into that industry if you haven't started. But there is a company up in, uh, actually up in um, 
in Fort Lauderdale up here somewhere that, that works on it and they, they apply they actually are injecting people and doing PT and everything so wow we do clinical studies with them uh, for our wearable project and we just I walked in the office and I was like what do you guys do we were just using their bring the mic over here we were just using their office for the studies and they just so happen to do stem cell work and they swear by it as well and it's I was like okay what do I have to do to get a couple and they're like oh just just let me know whenever you want some and we'll get you some I'm like no what what, what does that mean <laughs> what does that even mean what do they give you like Units of stem cells? Like, yeah, that's wild. So they give you injections and you inject sites. Um, I just. That's that's I, I different for you because you're, you're like, like you said, you're electrical, mechanical. Like you said, that's like more. Yeah, that's more biological. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's nothing I've dabbled in, to be honest. And it's actually like chemistry and biology, I, I was not a big fan of when I was in college. Just because I like outputs, you know, I like I'm a very practical person. I like to see that there's an effect. That's what that it I seems do. like when I talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> and I did. I worked. I worked in a tissue engineering lab, and it was the worst job ever. Like tissue engineering and biological engineering, whatever. Being a biologist, most of your day is spent sitting at a table pipetting, and it's so boring. Yeah. The data can be really cool. And the research can be really cool, but it's it's just it's very tedious, and it just takes so much time. Whereas yeah. You, know, you, you build an electronic device or an implantable device, and it's the coolest thing. You know, you get this thing to turn on, you get a really cool GUI going on, and you get people wearing it, and it gives direct outputs. I love that. I think it's really cool, which takes a lot too, but it has very practical outputs. Yeah. Ten years to get to a product. Yeah, you you seem the way that you are. You seem like you're more. I'm not gonna say hands on, but you like to build the product, build the the machine, see if it works, and yeah, absolutely. the whole process of that, and and see what you're doing. Not that all in all that weird internal Mumbo biological Mumbo. stuff. Losers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> losers. I don't know what they're doing? So, I wanted to ask you. Did you ever see this? I just saw something recently about this like exoskeleton that assists like uh it, it adds like 15 percent strength to like person to a person that's like lifting something so you're shaking your head so you know what's going on here yeah it's super well, so actually i can circle that back to my last job which i was a director at a manufacturing plant over in uh, um north miami okay and we had we had manufacturing i mean you have 100 employees sitting there making devices all day um at my new job, I don't have the plant in-house. We contract our manufacturing. But in my job before, I was in-house engineering, and I directed a bunch of engineers. I hated being a manager. I I'm can tell you that right now. Yeah. Not my thing. Um, I'm more of a, I'm a great engineer. I'm, I'm not a great manager. So I had to manage like five or six engineers at a time, and we would, we would do products. We were just like pumping through products and, and making them. and uh, It was tedious, but you always have problems with the uh, – the manufacturing employees because they, they do repetitive work and they do like this weird lifting all the time and you feel for them but like at the same time you've got to get these devices and these products made yeah and that's just the way products have to get made and, and as much as, as we want to automate and, and i did a lot of automation i love making automation robotics it's it's hard to automate certain processes if not impossible so you have to have these people doing repetitive jobs so we looked into a lot of these like out these um like assist suits i guess you would say yeah they have like assist chairs assist suits it wasn't 
evolved to what you see today. Yeah. Which is just like major lift assist suits. But we had to talk about we had to talk about getting them because we have employees lifting 50 pounds five times a day um, in order to lift these heavy sterilization bags and stuff like that, and they complain after two months, and I feel for them. You know, your lower back starts to hurt, but the reality of it is we're probably gonna fire them and just get another employee and, yeah. and try and cycle through those employees. And I I love the concept that I saw recently that you're talking about because reduce a lot of the pain on that employee that's doing that repetitive motion i saw a drywall guy wearing it it was like this guy putting up drywall and drywall you know you're constantly lifting drywall awkward positions yeah. and he had this like backpack on and it had like these things that went onto his limbs yeah and assisted everything it was it's just incredible it, i don't know have you ever done like a a job that's repetitive yeah yeah like you know my job now i mean no but where you have to sit at a table or you have to stand in front of drywall, or you sit at a table. And yeah, I worked in a in an aerospace. I made window yeah. shades for jets. Yeah, and you know. Yeah. How terrible that that work can be, and it, it may not seem like a lot. Like for example, one of our product lines was was absorbable sutures, which is like stitches. Yes. You know, yes. Yeah. So we had ladies, poor ladies, that had to package these things every day. And what it looks like to package a suture is they literally just sit there and wind the suture on a package card. Oh. Close the card and package it. And these poor women, I mean, you have 40 women lined up. And I say women just because women are the best manufacturing employees. Yeah. Fact. They don't complain. They're great at what they do. Um, and it, They're probably not really, lazy. Yeah, <laughs> like. it's, it's really hard on them. Um, and it's rough work. And sometimes I would, whenever I would, so part of my job, I had some engineers that were trying to improve that process, right? Yeah. So we tried making this automation equipment that would assist in the, um, the winding is what we called it. And I would have to sit there for 30 minutes just to get a feel for what they have to go through. Oh, okay. So you'd have to do yeah, it. And so, and it, man, that's rough work. At the same time, it can be very relaxing to do the same thing over and over again. But I really feel for the employees, the manufacturing employees that have to do repetitive motions every day, all day. So that's, when are, that's where I see something like that. When are guys like you going to freaking figure this shit out, man? Make some robots. We did. Come on. Left, I, spent, <laughs> I spent $5 million with that company to automate so many things. And that's awesome. We did. We automated that. We, we semi-automated that process so no woman there ever had to wind again. And then they that's ended, pretty they cool. Ended up, they ended up hating me because about half of them lost their jobs because we didn't need as many. Damn, man. Anymore. So they loved me at first because they're like, oh, you're going to help us? This is great. Then I brought in these giant robots that I designed that helped automate the winding process. And oh, long behold, man. 40% of them lose their job because <sighs> we're getting more output from less people. And then they're, they're boycotting. They're angry. It, it's so weird to see that side of work. So when I see, like, unions and things pop up now at, like, Chevy and things, like, I, I see both sides a lot better now because I understand what it's like to see employees push back and you're just trying to help the company and the process, but at the same time, that sometimes really does hurt the employee. Yeah, man. Even though you're trying to help, and, and I was part of that. Damn. Point. Yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun time. That sucks that 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 it goes that way. Uh, so. It's part of the job. Yeah. You, you work a job. It does take skill. This job takes skill. Yeah. We couldn't have this job specifically. I mean, we had a lot of different employees there, but 
that job specifically, you had to hand pick the right person for that winding job. Yeah. So those women felt like they were entitled. You know, they really did. They were. We needed them. Yeah. To get our product that that product line out, and um, so when we started cutting them, it was a big deal. So. Wow. That was fun stuff. So, so coming up, what did you, uh, what do you wish you would have known when you started this, going into this field? Like something that you, like you wish you would have known that you know now, I should say. I think, I think some of the, I've definitely failed quite a few times at making some devices. Okay. And I think some of the important things that I've learned is to fail fast. So I say it all the times in meetings now. Um, now that I've become more of a senior, well, I am a very senior engineer. But, oh, my God, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I am the you're senior not engineer. Even, you're you're not even old. I know, I know, but I am considered everyone freak, like everyone kind of, I'm in a weird department, right? Technology development. I know you're not in this world, but technology development is considered like the like the specialty department like those guys are doing weird stuff we never know what they're doing cool stuff i yeah. walk in the lab and I, I i grab weird tools and they're like what, what is this guy even doing <laughs> like why does he why does he have a tomato and green paint and a 3d printer like what's going that's on that's awesome there? um do you really have that i have a 3d printer and a robot next to my desk yeah but no yeah, tomato no, no, all no. right I hate tomatoes. <laughs> actually tomatoes are gross. what about tomato sauce I'm allergic. I'm the <gasps> only Italian in the world. Oh my God! You're allergic to red sauce. Yeah. When did you figure this out? Please tell me it's a crazy story. Yeah, it is. Okay, go. Sidetrack, uh, yeah. guys. Sorry. <laughs> tell me about this. How you found out how you were allergic to tomatoes? I uh, I was in college and <laughs> I was drinking a decent amount, partying. You know, it's not like I had a drinking problem, but it was probably a drink. Let me problem. stop you real quick. Wait. So you've had. Pasta, like tomato sauce before college, though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you weren't allergic then? I don't, so. Okay, go ahead. Let me tell you the story. Gotcha, gotcha. You're right. You're right. So I'm in college. I'm drinking a decent amount. I end up getting um, my a spleen or an inflated spleen. Is that what it was? Uh, I, I had a weird, crazy pain in my chest, and I had to go to the hospital. And I had all these striations on my, I, I keep saying spleen, but it wasn't a spleen. But um, I ended up just a ton of pain and ever since that day i started getting i got diagnosed with uh with ulcerative colitis uh which is a major oh my god disease. oh my yeah. oh because you're drinking no 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 so oh, it's, God. It's drinking, <laughs> but like but after, holy crap after that happened i couldn't kick you know i know it's gross but like blood going through and just crazy problems i was having my intestinal problems wow so i went to gi doctors i got um you know, I got a lot of scopes stick, stuck in all sorts of places yeah. over and over again. And I got diagnosed with um, with ulcerative colitis. So I was, wow. like, I was on steroids for two years of my life while I was in freaking college. Did you get jacked? No, no. I'm kidding. Fun, I not, know. Not the fun That's a good steroid. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Damn, Joe. I bad steroids that, um, that really just like. Like prednisone? Yeah. Pre basically, oh. It's called acetyl. It's like a prednisone that releases in the intestines it's got like a coating on the pill so it only releases in your intestines. so you must have been jacked up with that stuff man like just it was, like that was terrible so it felt terrible it was the only thing that really could reduce some of the symptoms and i'm going through this for two years like i constantly have flare-ups and like it, it was 
it really it screwed my life up. You have anxiety when you eat because you never know if you're like if you're gonna get a stomach problem. Wow. It, it leads. Man, I feel for for people that are having. I still have a little bit of anxiety, but the anxiety of like going to a restaurant like on a date and knowing you're gonna have such bad stomach pain that like you honestly may not even be able to make it to a bathroom. Like that's how bad. Damn, uh, man. IBS or, or an ulcerative colitis is. Um, I dealt with that for like for so long and all these medications, and I finally was just like, I'm just gonna try anything. And my my wonderful mother, who was always like, I know a guy who's allergic to grass. I heard I, my mom's a very strong Catholic. She's like, I have a, another Catholic friend at church who tells me her, her daughter was allergic to grass, and that's what gave her anxiety. I was like, sure, mom, that's a thing. And I was like, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah, she can't be around freshly cut grass because it gives her anxiety. Wow. I'm like, okay. So I was like, you know, I finally I went to an allergist, and um, they gave me an allergy test, which is like 99 pricks or 100 pricks yeah. of different things. And I was like deathly allergic to red sauce. Wow. And I was I was also partially allergic to barley, which is in beer. Yes. Which I still drink, but I know I can't drink more than one. Oh. So these two things, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've gotten way better. Once I cut these two things out of my diet, my life changed. It was in, it was insane. Just because of this allergist, you went to this allergist yeah. and you found that out. And I, and it changed wow. my it changed my life. I I went to I went back to the GI doctor and got scoped three months after this, right? And he's like, "Oh, you're cured." And I was like, what the hell do you mean I'm cured? This isn't a curable disease. And he's like, well, it's just how it works. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, could you send all of your patients to an allergist and see if you're wrong? Like, I was so angry. But I was, you know, I was happy. I was blessed to kind of be at this point where I wasn't getting any more symptoms. And Whoa. I haven't had any symptoms since then. Zero. It's, ins- it's just, it's night and day. Wow. It's all because I know what to stay away from. And I'll still have pizza every now and then with red sauce, but I know, I know what's going to happen in 20 minutes. Oh, you can go with the white pizza, though, man. I do, I do. Oh, you got to go with the white pizza. pizza. Ricotta cheese, and they got the mozzarella. Oh, man, that's... I'm a white pizza fiend. (laughs) Trust me. But I do miss my pastas. Like, I I was a big pasta eater growing up. Yeah, but you can go with pasta with the white sauce, butter and cheese. You can't... I mean, there's so many different options. Yeah, but looking back to when I got really sick in college, I was drinking all the time, which has barley. And I, pasta was my diet. You know, you oh, know, yeah. It's, it's all you That's eat. all you're eating. Ramen noodles, all that yeah. crap. Yeah. So I got really sick. And, and Damn. That's kind of what got me down the road to go to an allergist. And man, it's, I tell everyone, everyone in my family especially, my brothers and my, my brother and my sister, I'm like, please go. If I have allergies, you guys have allergies. Dude, I have to go to an allergist, man, because I get a stuffy nose constantly. I have to go to one now. Now you're making me have to go to one. Dude, I, I found out turmeric, so Ricasha like oh try this golden milk right and i don't know you know golden milk i've heard of that what is it um thai is big on it too. yeah yeah I, that's where i've heard it from it's you take um like almond milk and you mix in turmeric and pepper and other spices okay and you just make you shake it up and it's supposed to be like really good For inflammation and reco- yeah, like just, recovery and inflammation. yeah i found out i'm definitely allergic to turmeric oh my god so like <laughs> I drank the golden milk, and for three days, <gasps> I was down for the count. And no way! It was, it was like, it's, and what's crazy is turmeric, since I, oh, I constantly I'm getting weird flare-ups, right? Not like bad ones, but I get like stomach pains from food. And drinking golden milk is what made me realize it's turmeric. 
So Whoa. I have to stay away from turmeric. And it's so hard to stay away from turmeric. It's in like everything. Really? Like dressings and all sorts of stuff. I know it's that. Yeah. Spice. It is. So I finally realized a ton of these weird dressings and sauces that have turmeric is what's causing me another issue. But it probably just wasn't one of the things in the 99 pricks or 100 pricks. Wow. Yeah. So no. it's led me to really understand oh, that if you shit. know your body, you can really avoid some of these things that affect you. Yeah, and it's true. It's it's so easy to go to an allergist and figure these things out. Like if you ever notice, like, oh, I get stomach pain sometimes or I get like, you know, like you're saying, like you get nose running. There's, there's something that, that you're allergic to. There's something that's it's happening that to me. Yeah. For me, it was a game changer. For me... I know that if I wouldn't have went to that allergist, I'd still be ba- taking medication, and my I probably would have ended up with like colon cancer or something like that by now. Good. In my 40s. Good God. And I would have been hospitalized constantly for flare-up. Like, what a game changer for me. Um, I think stress also plays into it, but that was such, wow. a, such a game changer for me. You know, turmeric is pronounced turmeric. Did you know that? Ch turmeric. No turmeric because it's T U R. No one sees that sneaky little R. Yeah, I'm dead serious. This whole time I've been saying yeah, turmeric. I've been turmeric. saying turmeric too. Well, I hate it anyway. Turmeric. Fuck you, turmeric. Fuck you, turmeric. I'll call it by its false name. That's what it deserves. Oh my god, that's awesome. It deserves to be turmeric. <laughs> I can't believe you're allergic to turmeric. Turmeric. That's a bad one. That's Damn. Fun. I definitely think everyone that that's having any kind of issues should check out an allergist. It was a. I'm gonna. Was this guy in Broward, guy or girl? All right, I'm going to get some pricks. I'm going to get some pricks. Damn, man, now i got to do that. (laughs) So, I know you said you failed a lot, and you said your thing is to fail fast. Oh, yeah. Elaborate on that. Sorry. No, 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 I've got to go back. a nice tangent. Um, Yeah, something I've learned is... It's a great tangent, but go ahead. You can work these grandiose projects, right? Uh Uh-huh. And you can lay out a full project plan, and... You have these goals and these milestones, but in the end, you know there's key aspects of your design or your plan that if they do fail at any point in time, it completely kills the project. Um, and you can apply this to a lot of things in your life. You know, if you're trying to design, actually, I have no idea how you can apply another thing to your life, but I'm sure you can. Yeah, I'm sure you can. <laughs> at this point, I can't think of anything. But what I've gotten really good at doing is uh, assessing a project and deciding on, on critical aspects of the project or on the design of a device and saying, okay, up front, what can I do right now with a 3D printer and a quick turn electronic uh, build to de, um, kind of get away from, de-risk certain designs and certain project li- timelines because finding out after, you know, I spend a ton of money in my department. Yeah. So I'll spend uh, I'll spend a couple hundred thousand dollars in a couple of months and then you don't get an output until you, like five or six months while everything's being made yeah and then so if you don't fail fast and find out that a design is flawed in some way it could be something tiny like you forgot to put a little bump somewhere or a hole yeah somewhere it's so oh minute so sometimes and you missed it because you didn't take the time to 3d print it and put it in your hands and feel it or you didn't walk it over to a surgeon and say how do you feel about this and they say oh this is disgusting i don't like why didn't you make this blue and that's my life sometimes. It's yeah. Like I messed up because I didn't do something silly. So in the end, it's not in the end, but it's like, and I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like, in a sense, if you take 
if you don't take the long way and you take the easy way, in a sense, in in, in doing something, that it's going to bite you in the ass sometimes. A lot. I see or a lot of the time. I see it happen a lot of the times in, in engineering world, at least. And with major if you try to take a shortcut. Is that, no, it's, it's almost like you set a path and you have a job and you're a project manager or your path is, I'm going to make... I'm going to get to this end game and make this app or make this product or, you know, do whatever I need to do. And I have this plan and I'm going to follow each step of the plan. And in the end, I'm done. And a lot of times people don't assess that plan and look at all the milestones and say, like, what are the risks of these different milestones? Like, how can I, what happens if I, if this goes wrong? Yeah. How can I make, how can I test this out before it goes wrong and fail fast so that tomorrow I can get and say, I shouldn't go this route, I should go the other route. And people in my, um, in, in the engineering world at least, they get set on these paths. A whole department of 20 people will get set on a path, spend over a million dollars, and it's on a failed idea. And they could have failed fast in two weeks, but now they're two years down the road and probably one or two million dollars. And they didn't just do some quick little test that could have optimized the design. It happens all the time. Wow. And it's a bummer, but... You tend to see it in, in really good engineers, and, and it's not something that I came up with, obviously, but it's something I've taken from really good engineers I've seen in the industry where it's like, man, they they really know the risky aspects of a design or of a project, and they're really good at de-risking it and saying, let me, let me think of the ways this could go wrong, and let me test those things and see if it's going to go wrong ahead of time instead of just following the path that I think is going to work and hoping for the best. And it happens all the time. Wow. Yeah. And so everyone knows that when I get into a meeting, I like to say fail fast. That's all awesome. I'm saying it all the time in meetings. It's a funny thing. But I like that because you can apply that to a lot of things in life. You can apply that. Like, because if you're going to fail, okay, get it over with. You fail, move on. You know, next thing. I mean, it's all different. You can use it in all aspects, like you said. Yeah, if you're going to fail, figure out how to, how to improve and go back at the problem. Figure out how, like, don't fail in years fail now figure out why you failed and, and fix it that's great you know, find it fix it finish it those are three f's i love that that's good find thing. it fix it finish it <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> look at you 10 years now and you didn't even know you did you just make that up now no no i've always had I've oh always okay had find it fix it finish it awesome man I think about it all the time triple right? f baby yeah it's important it really is that's awesome i forgot who i got it from i got that from uh, it doesn't matter i got it from you I got it from you. You're a millionaire to me. Yeah. So, what do you? What's like? What's something that you're passionate about right now? I know that you're in this field, in the engineering field, and you seem pretty passionate about it. And if you were to go in depth on that, or if there's something I, else, I, I I'd like. Something else I'm super I would like to hear it. Actually. So, I mean, maybe it's something you can assume about me, but I'm a nerd, and I'm addicted to science. No, you're a geek. Because exactly. you know the geek and nerd thing, yeah. right? No, I don't. Someone geek, asked me that today, and I didn't know how to answer Geeks have social skills. Uh, nerds don't. Okay. <laughs> At least that's Alex's um, hypothesis. I need to hand that off to this girl that asked me today at work. I was like, she's like, what's the difference between a geek, a nerd, and uh, there's another one. A dork? Yeah, a uh, dork, maybe. Dork? And I was uh, like, you don't want to be a dork, first of all. Yeah, you don't want to be a dork. If you want to be anything, be a nerd. You could be dorky. Or a geek. Uh-huh. And I couldn't really explain more than that. But, um, okay, so <laughs> <laughs> circling back. Um, so talking about, I'm super passionate yes. About, so I read a lot. 
sci-fi you said i've read like over 400 books okay and awesome and it's always basically going to be a sci-fi genre really a military sci-fi genre so that's something i'm big on whether it's audiobooks because i'm driving or i read a lot before i go to sleep or on the weekends i like to like kind of calm my brain um often right i like to turn off every now and then because i'm so i'm always running at like a really high level during the days if i don't get that calm time i know it leads to anxiety personally yeah so i have to shut my brain off somehow and that's the only way i've learned that i know i can do it is like you know reading read a book so i've gotten really into it so something i am really passionate about is i i guess it's not really passionate but something i do love very much is is reading sci-fi, hard sci-fi. I love science, so I love looking at what the future could be like, especially in space. That's <laughs> so awesome. I love trying to think through theoreticals and um, kind of playing it out. It's something I grew up doing. You know, you sit there in bed and you think about what ifs, and a lot of times for me, it's what ifs we had this technology and we could travel to stars. What would it be like? Um, wow. So that's something I've always been really into, and I. I didn't read a book until I got until like junior year of, co- of high school, and then finally somehow I read ni- George Orwell's 1984, and I was like, I couldn't put it down. I read it in like four hours, and I had, ne- I had like literally, and maybe I read The Giver because they forced me to in middle school. I love The like, Giver. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I liked it, but like I didn't love it. No, I I got you. I had never learned to love a book, and finally, you know, 1984 or 1985. I always get it confused because my birthday's 1985. Um, George Orwell was like, it was such an incredible book that I couldn't put it down. And then I got this addiction to reading over the years. And I just, every day I have at least two or three books I'm reading at any given time, you know. That's cool. Because sh- it's a really good way in my mind to shut off and de-stress is, is to let your imagination roam. Because and be smarter. I, I have an issue, and I think a lot of engineers should make sure that they're continuously massaging and working on their imagination. Because... I, I do use my imagination a lot in technology development, but some days you really don't. Some weeks you really don't use your imagination. Wow. And you should make sure that, especially as you grow up, that you continue to work on your imagination because uh, I think a lot of us lose that. So I'm really, I want to make sure that I keep utilizing that and, and reading these weird fantasy books that keep that, uh, that aspect of my brain going and active. Joe, that's freaking awesome. I love that you just said that because I, I didn't know that about you, and I think that's very, really interesting. And I like that you're saying, like, not only engineers but everybody, like, you need to l- utilize your imagination. And I think reading any – I mean, sci-fi is, is awesome, but then yeah. reading anything, yeah. really, all, like, the big, the very successful people – I'll give you an example. Warren Buffett, they say he reads 500 pages a week, yeah. and all successful people do that, aside from success, but just for – just for overall well-being, I think that's a great thing. Like you said, you use it. It helps your anxiety. It helps you be creative. That's awesome. Yeah, Very I think, cool. I, think any outlet for that. I wish I, had, I, I drew more, like did more artistic stuff. But for me, reading gets, it, it scratches that, that itch. But for a lot of people, it's different things. And also an artistic expression for you, I feel, is doing what you do. You know. Yeah, I'm lucky enough that I have, a, like I said, I have a 3D printer next to me. So, like, right now, actually, <laughs> I may go back to the office because I have a print running. But, like, oh really? I, I get to constantly have a concept that's going through my head. I get to build it and model it in SolidWorks, which is a 3D modeling software. And then within two or three hours, I can have it sitting on my desk. And, like, I can't tell you how 
good that feels. Yeah, I would say that's that's like instant awesome. gratification right it's there. It's so gratifying to 3D print something. I convinced my boss to buy it. It was a $60,000 3D printer, and it was like I had one in my last company. Don't get me wrong, but like having it in our little department of three people. That's great for funsies. It's just so <laughs> fun. Like it's so fun. I've got that, and I've got a mill to like machine stuff. You know, I'm I'm really big on on hands-on work, right? So I know how to run a CNC. I was gonna say CNC machine cars, is a big yeah, thing. Lading, stuff like I, I grew up. I think that's very important. If you want to ever be an engine, a really good engineer, or just in general, if you want to be good at making, like I can sit down now and know, I know I can make almost anything I think of, um, if you give me the right tools or equipment. That's pretty cool. I think that that's something I wanted to do since I was little. I like I would watch these these uh, these superstars on not superstars these underground stars on Star Wars or Stargate, and they there would always be this science guy in the background. They'd be like they'd have this major problem like the spaceship can't lift off. <laughs> Can you solve this major problem that the spaceship doesn't have any propulsion? And he'd be like. Yeah, no problem. Just gonna reroute the uh, the coating and um, go ahead and add some and that photons to the thing. <laughs> and you're like, all right. So the only reason the storyline progressed is because this random guy can solve 50 problems in three seconds. And you, you that's know, a critical person. You I know, be that I was guy. gonna say like yeah. you're you're not the guy. You're thinking you're thinking outside the box. This is the guy that really saved everything. Not this asshole that's going running into that sh no. like 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 no. Luke Skywalker. It's not him. He it's it. it's <laughs> the guy that invented the freaking. Whatever the Tie Fighter, or not the Tie Fighter, the fighter that he's in, and all the software that he's in. No, but so I grew up. I like I that. Man. Those guys, and I always wanted to be like that. You know, I remember thinking when I was. I still think about it all the time. I don't know why it was a weird thought, but if I was ever like, if humanity ever had to restart, who'd be the most important people? It's like, how do you even make iron, and how do you make metals? Right. How do you, how do you take a planet, or like, you know, start from scratch? How do you start from scratch? You can't go to a store and buy something. And I, I feel like that was something that drove me when I was younger, is wanting to understand so cool. how to go from, you know, even looking at this right now at your soundboard, it's like, how do, you, how do you start from scratch there? How do you make all that? So I've been super lucky to be able to travel the world and see all these manufacturing plants of how electronics are made, how different devices are made. I was involved in manufacturing. I now, and I'm still addicted to going to manufacturing. I love it. You know, if anyone ever gets a chance, don't just go to, you know, see a beer factory when you go to a city. See if you can get access to a manufacturing plant that makes something. It's incredible to watch um, and to see, you know, how electronics are made. And it might sound silly. No, it's, it's like, awesome. It's like how it's made, you know. I was going to say, that show? It, yeah. You must love that show. Yeah, <laughs> I did, I did. I did. I liked it. I didn't like the guy that um, oh, okay. over it because he was super boring, but I did like the show. Um, so that's a pretty cool show. Yeah, so imagine, you know, I've got I've been able to see so many manufacturing plants like that in person and it's just been so great to be able to find out how all these things are made. Um That is cool. It really yeah, it's it's really cool. It's really cool. I wish that a lot of kids could be a, could have that cuz you know, if I was in high school or middle school and I had the knowledge that I think would only take a few days out of their their year to go and see this or witness this in person, they w I had a big gap between, you know, theory and school and outputs. And when you link that gap for a lot of kids, it's this, like, life-changing moment. I had this great teacher in high school, Mr. Canella, my physics teacher, that did that, that made that link for me. He took yeah. this theory and he would take out a wheel and he'd spin it and he'd give it to us all. And 
you know, I was lucky enough to have my father as well that taught me how to work on cars and explained to me how engines work and how pumps work. Like, when you get that, that link. Oh, it goes such a long way. Changer. It goes it's such a, a long way. Because kids are just, um, they just want to, they want to run their science experience. They want to know. They want to know, know why it works, how it works. My son, I see him, yeah. like, with, like, cars. He loves obsessed with cars and trucks. And yeah. he looks at the wheels and how it works. And he, he just goes underneath it, opens the doors of his little toy cars that he has. It's just, it's amazing because they just want to know how it works. And like you said, you had a teacher and your dad that they linked it for you. They put that link together. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I have friends also that had like, they were lucky enough to have like machining equipment at home and they grew up with all that around them and to be able to, even if you don't like it, just to be able to understand how yeah. that works. It's amazing. It gives you an appreciation for things. Yeah. Absolutely. Appreciation. Uh, for how things work and how it's done. Of course, I'm going to like that because I'm an engineer, but I guess that might apply to a lot of different things. No, it does because I, I, I'm not an engineer by any means, obviously, but I, I, like, I appreciate when I know when I can use a tool and fix something and figure out how that piece works. I don't know if you listened to the last podcast about me installing a toilet, but, dude, it's not a complicated thing, but it's just like knowing how it works and how like what it does and... I never did that before, but I figured it out. YouTube, man. YouTube's fucking awesome. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I thought YouTube was going to make everyone in this world so much more educated because of what you're saying. Like, they're gonna, we're going to all be able to learn from home. But it doesn't. But it did the opposite. It, it, People <laughs> stopped retaining knowledge because the knowledge is always in, on, at your fingertips. It's true. So instead of being better at things, we're just better at researching things. You're right. It's true. It's insane. It's I, weird. I, I remember being in high school and thinking, oh, man, the world's going to be so much smarter now. Thank you, YouTube. It's not. False. It's, you're like, we're just better at researching things. Yeah, and I, I'm guilty of it all the time. But you know what, Joe? Because people, well, and before this existed, we used to just go and try it and figure it out. And that, you, you, you fuck it up a bunch of times. I think so. And I that's how you got really good at it. I think there was a lot of failure before things like YouTube and DIY projects. Yeah, that. man. But I do appreciate it because, for example, I just built a standing desk this weekend. I had a sitting desk and I was tired of it because I spend a lot of time at my computer at home. Joe, you got to get on the treadmill desk. Tasha was showing me videos I'm sick. of that. <laughs> Joe, have you stood though for six hours at a at a? No, at no, a I haven't. Because I have a standing desk at work too, but it's adjustable. It goes up and down. Okay. At home, I didn't want it to be adjustable, so I made a really nice and I stained it and I did all these. It's a really, oh, it nice. Came out like a really good project. Um, and I forgot why I was going there, but I can tell no, you. No, you're saying you wanted oh, a standing desk. Oh, that I, I didn't make major mistakes because I looked at like five DIYs that other people had done, and I was like, all right, oh, that's yeah. what you learned, huh? Yeah. So I took it from a different avenue, but at the same time, th that's really nice to have that. It's it's like you said, people would fail before. I don't got time to fail. It's like yeah, I want to build this desk. Yeah, I want to build this desk. I got a hundred dollars. All right. <laughs> go buy this night. I had to buy like. I'm not. I wish I worked on with wood more, but I don't. Oh, wood is. I think it's cool. It man. is really cool. It's really cool when you become a good woodworker and you can make like cool furniture. Underappreciated. Holy crap, it's such a cool industry. But um, so I didn't know all that stuff. So I was looking it up online on all things ways people made mistakes, how to do the joints, how to do the gluing and stuff like that, and that that's what helped me a lot. So it's nice to have. Yeah, it is. I did a lot of things in my house from YouTube. You know, I mean, come on, man, save me. Gonna a do it. Yeah. You're pay for people yeah exactly and a lot of it's expensive man so you can get money for that what no i don't 
what what um I was gonna say what what books are you reading right now? Actually, I am rereading um, Altered Carbon because I don't know what? If you see the series? Joe, I don't know what that is. The the it's a series. What's Altered on Carbon? Netflix. I don't know what that is, man. So it's a sci-fi series that came out on Netflix, and it's like it's incredible. It's really good. It's I think it's like ten or twelve episodes. It's a futuristic sci-fi series about you know humans colonizing and whatever. Ah, it's, it's a really interesting okay. Series, um, and I had read the book before, and I hated it um, a lot. And okay. After seeing the series, I was like, all right, I this thing deserves another go because the series was the first. The series was done so well incredible um you know really cool visuals and really cool concepts it's like a detective type movie yeah you got a detective going through a futuristic like dystopia and this is the um, book that you're reading right now rereading yeah, rereading yeah altered carbon it's about a detective kind of going through this futuristic um cool timeline and, and solving all these weird crimes and you know meeting women what else are you reading or is that the only one you're reading right now, Slacker? I have a book on my e-reader at home, and I forgot what it is. I read it last night. What is it? I, I read so much, sometimes I forget. That's awesome, though. That's a good question. I uh, I forgot what I'm reading. on. So I'm listening to the book I just told you because a lot of my work, I'm working with my hands. and I, I Okay, so you got to listen. I don't have to think. So yeah. I'm just like, I'll just listen to a book for the next two hours while I build this prototype. I s- I still think, though, I think that reading makes you smarter than listening to a book. What do you think? I think you're right, because when you when you read it, you have time to process it. Yeah. When you're listening to it, it kind of throws you through the story, really. Like, when I'm listening to a book, I can't listen to a difficult book. Yeah. So, I, I, for example, a hard book for me was Hyperion. And I know it probably doesn't mean much to you, but it's a, it's a very popular book. I don't know very, what it is, Joe. It's a very difficult book to read. It's got so many concepts, and it's got so many twists. If you try going through this book, you can't. yeah, you can't. Same thing happened for me. For I, I'm sure you guys both like. Um, what's the TV series that you that Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. Oh yeah. Did you ever try and read those books? No, I haven't. I tried to listen to them because I was driving. Oh, a lot you can't of listen time. to that. And I realized you can't listen. You need a yarn board to read this book. Right. You need a link fifty thousand. Oh yeah, all the families and. That's a good example. When you yeah, can, yeah. You can't listen to a book, so I do. I, I have a ton of books on my e reader Biographies you can. I think on a, a biography on somebody, on someone's life, that's something good to listen to. Yeah, I like think so a, David Goggins, I, li- I listened to his book, Driving, and that was great. I loved it. David Goggins. Is that the guy that made chicken? Come on, Joe. Tony, you don't know who David... Tony, Tony Loggins? I love his music. You're such an idiot. You, why are you just talking shit? Dangerous I know you are. Okay, now I know your humor. <laughs> Knucklehead. God, that's a danger zone. No, who is that? I don't, I really David Goggins? David Goggins? The uh, the former Navy SEAL. Oh, I did. I listened to his podcast. Ultra Runner. That guy. He's he was great. Talking about like having broken bones in his legs and just running. Yeah, he's got a great story. If you ever if you ever get a chance to listen to his book. He's. I think of him sometimes when I'm stretching, and I know I have to stretch because he talked about oh, so painkillers for a while, and he talked. About, he, he talked about how stretching saved his life. Yeah. How he had he the, almost died. Yeah. Where was it that I was trying to mention it to Ratasha the other day about where he had that? He had like a, a lump. Muscle. He had a lump on the back of his head and lumps on his hips. Hips. And he started stretching, and it started. He started stretching for like twelve hours a day, and it saved his life because he felt like he was gonna die. You gotta listen to his book; it's amazing. I listened to great story. I feel like we listened to a two-hour podcast. Maybe it was. 
It probably was him. He was on Joe. He was on Joe Rogan's. Okay, it was Joe Rogan. Yeah, he was on Joe's Joe Rogan's show twice. I think. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think you or Alex had recommended it. It's great. Listen to it. It was. It was really. His book is great. If you ever get an opportunity. I mean, I'm a skeptic, so when I listen to somebody saying all these grandiose things, I'm. I just want to fact check. And I was driving at the time, and I was like, "Can you look this up?" He backs it up. Did he really do this? Yeah, he backs it up, man. He did. I was so impressed. I was so impressed. He just did two days ago because I keep track on the ultra circuit. And there's this race called the Moab 240. And it's a 240-mile race in the Moab Mountains in Utah. In a car or on your feet? On your feet. (laughs) (laughs) In a VW Bug. No, so he, he did this race. And he was a top three. He was in the top three for like the first 100 miles, I believe. And he ended up getting pulmonary edema in the race so they had to pull him so they pulled him he went to the hospital for the night and he ended up getting discharged the next day came back the next day and actually finished the race they pulled him at like mile two two something so he came back and finished the race the next day and he still he was it's unofficial because he got outside help so it's not official that he finished it but he did finish it within the time but unofficially because he did have to go to the hospital. So that just tells you what kind of guy that, that he is. So it's pretty cool. That's in the documentary? No, this was two days ago. Oh, man. This was two I days ago. Did he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow him. You know, if you, on Instagram, if you, insane, if you follow him, hey, man, that, that's pretty cool. You're insane, too, what you do. You know, you, there's the way that your mind works in a good way. This is all good insane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's, some, that's a real challenge. That's yeah, he said he. If you ever get an opportunity to listen to his book, it's great. Or read it, whatever way you want to do it. But it's something that you can listen to. It doesn't. It's not so intricate as like these other things that you were explaining, or these other books. I gotta get more into nonfiction. It's something I do owe myself. Yeah, but fiction's pretty cool, man. You can't go wrong with that shit. It's too much fun. Okay, I want to talk to you about this. I know you've seen it, Ex Machina. Yes, I. Oh, what, what do you think about that? I thought it was slow. Well, as as a movie, Ex Machina. Really? Slow. Yeah, it was. It, you didn't think it was crazy? Wait, Ex Machina. You're talking about on Netflix. House and it's like really slow and relaxed and like it was a slow pacing with, movie. With with the, with the AI, with the AI, with the artificial intelligence, what they did. You don't think that was crazy? Am I thinking of the wrong movie? Where I don't want to like ruin this for everybody because the ending is real like twist, but where all the girls were were robots. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but we knew they were robots. No, you didn't know until like midway or towards the end of the movie. No, 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 we did know. We did know. Let me mute you for a second. And they started I'm going to mute for a second. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Okay. Joe. Well, I love that stuff. I'm just so saying, I'm like I I, when I saw it. that, it like blew my mind. I I, I guess it doesn't blow your mind cuz you think it, you you fucking you want to do that to people. No, I don't. <laughs> you want to be artificial intelligence or whatever. You want that to exist. How she pulled that fast one on the guy and Dude, come on, so, man, it was uh, sick. You know why I liked that movie so much is because it was thought provoking. It really was. Yeah, it was. I it love, was crazy. I love like that, that are what ifs that are plausible. Yeah. And it's it, it was it was a really cool movie. I thought so. Sometimes these movies just try and be so dramatic, and I think that's why Ex Machina was so popular. Is because it, it took a really cool concept, it thought it out really well, and it had a, a plausible outcome, right? Yeah. It wasn't like really, it wasn't too dramatic. No. It was a little slow, at least at the beginning, but like, I don't know. I liked, 
I liked walking. I remember walking out of that movie. I think I saw it in the theaters. It came out in the theaters. I didn't even yeah, know. It was a long. It was a long time. It was maybe like five years ago that it came out. That movie's been out for a while. Oh wow! Um, and I re- I remember walking out and being like, "Wow, that that was one of the most thought provoking movies I had seen in a long time." I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. But I like a lot of that stuff. So yeah, of course you do. That's a given for you. Yeah, for me it's like, you know, I slowly try and slip that into my, lo- my the movies that we watch at home. Like you know, you're at home at like ten or eleven o'clock. And you're trying to go to sleep, and I'm like, all right, let's watch a movie. Most girls do not like, like sci-fi. Absolutely not. No. My wife, Casey, would never no. watch sci-fi. No, but she watched Game of Thrones, which is fantasy, so. that's Yeah, that's different, though. She loves, fantasy, she loves so the drama of Game of Thrones. Like, she didn't like anything to do with the dead or or any of that. Yeah. But I love that. But dragons, everybody loves dragons. I think but, that's true. But she, she liked the drama of the families, like all that stuff. I liked everything about it. I liked the dead, the army of the dead. I thought that was freaking awesome. Yeah, how'd you feel about that ending? I, you know what, what, what other way could they have done it? You know, what are they gonna, you know? I, I thought it was, it was too fast. I feel like it all went too fast. It, it, that season could have went like three more seasons. I felt like it was just too done very fast. There was, there was a lot of time in between. There was a lot of things that left that were left unsaid. But you know, hopefully they'll. They'll explain it better in books or whatever. They're not going to rewrite it, but. Oh, man, I wish they did because that was such a letdown. What was it, eight, it was eight years of my life that or nine years? And I really, I, I didn't like it initially. I only watched it after, like, the fifth season came out. I got into it. I can't get that back. <laughs> ah, come on, but it was great. It, it was, was, it was, was great. great. It was a come great on. ride. But it was awesome. Ride, I really, I don't, I don't feel like it was done correctly. Yeah. Even if it was done the same way, I feel like just the way the scenes played out, it's like you said, it was so rushed. It was fast. But the character development that was laid out for amazing. so many seasons was so incredible. Just for the characters in the last two episodes to be like, yeah, remember all that character development we did? Throw it out yeah. the window. We're just, we're just going to be whatever we want. It was, just, it was too fast. And you don't know what the ins and outs are in that it, it, with HBO and everything. You don't know the money. I don't know. It was just – I've – I just feel like it was rushed. I do. I will say one thing. That the episode, the long night episode, I felt like that, that was really awesome. Other than being the darkest TV show I've ever watched yes, in my life. Yes, but that was great. I had to turn up the freaking brightness. On yes, you did, but it was so freaking awesome. I got anxiety watching that. It was good. It was amazing. Oh, man. it was. I felt like they hit it, and when... when when Arya killed the Night King, I'm sorry. Uh, that was a cool moment. I thought that was one of the cool that episode to me, like that's that made the whole season for me. That episode was, that was a cool episode. If Although you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a facts guy, right? So like I see a dragon that can blow up an ice wall with his fire and then Jon Snow hides behind a rock and, and he's he alright get through the rock and I'm just like this dragon sucks all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Who fucked up the dragon? Like, who forgot to feed this guy? Oh, well, the dragon got messed up. Drogon <laughs> fucked him up. Oh no, that other dragon, he was fighting him up in the sky, so he got know, his face was all I guess he's deteriorating <laughs> or something because couldn't get John a little freaking skimpy squishy right there behind the rock. That was sad. Oh my I god. He was angry? I don't know. And then and then I'm sorry. You I, damn I, facts guy. I don't want to ruin I don't want to ruin any for anyone that ends up listening to this. But at the end of that where the dragon's just like Cool, you just killed. Police yeah, man. I. But you have to look at it from all angles, Joe. 
Look at look from all angles. Dragon had higher intelligence. He knew what was going on. He knew what was going on. He knew who Jon Snow is. He knew who Jon Snow was. He knew everything. Like, he's like, fuck all you. Peace Done. I'm out. <laughs> Done with this throne <laughs> shit. The north. That's it. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, I don't know. It was a weird one. I still loved it, though. I'm going to change speed a little bit, Joe. What's your favorite restaurant? What's your favorite food? Absolutely. I'm done talking sci-fi. As much as I love it. I actually like to cook a lot. So, um, But right now I'm on the plant-based trip. So I don't You're on plant-based? So you don't eat meat? I do, but like 10%. Five, five to ten percent. So plant-based to me it means just like mostly I'm eating raw vegetables a lot. Raw like vegetables. A lot of like carrots and, and broccoli and uh, a lot of quinoa, a lot of black beans, uh, okay. avocado, a lot of lettuce, stuff like that. And then I have most of my. I used to do a lot of whey protein. Now most of my pro, all of my protein is uh, a pea, uh, pea rice mix uh, protein. How is that working out for you? Pretty good. I mean, I I went on the vegetarian diet a few months ago for about like 40 days, and I had noticeable loss in my abilities. Like, I went from being able to jump like 50 inches to like only hitting 47. And uh -huh. that, was, that was upsetting to me. Yeah. Um, but I know now the reason was that I wasn't. I really was not supplementing because I I just cut way off, and. Y I wasn't paying attention to my protein intake at all. And so I was probably getting like 40, 50 grams of protein a day. I need to be more like 100 at least to maintain pretty decent strength and recovery. Recovery is a big thing for me when I'm taking higher doses or higher amounts of protein. But um, so now my focus while I'm doing this diet is like don't try and just avoid meat completely. Like, you know, eat it every now and then. But don't. I used to make it the focus of every single meal. If there wasn't a meat involved, it wasn't a meal, you know, and that's such a flawed way of thinking that I got stuck on for so long. Yeah. Um, so now I'm trying to make sure I, I focus on just making sure I, I'm full and I'm happy with the meal. It doesn't need to have meat. And I'm supplementing with, like I said, pea or rice-based protein to make sure I'm getting high protein levels in my day. It's, it's working well. Like I'm. Hey, if it if I'm it works happy. for you. Yeah, I'm happy. I I notice decent energy gains and. I don't know, nothing bad. So, so far, to me, I just, I can't ignore the data anymore of linking heart disease and, and other issues with, with heavy meat diets, meat-based diets, so. I think it all depends. I mean, it all depends what, what you're eating, your 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 lifestyle, you know, what kind of meat you're eating, in what form. You know, I think there's a lot of factors in that. And I was going to say, there's this place, Wild Fork. You ever hear of that place? I have, but I have not been there. If you're going to go there... It makes a difference on on what you get, man. I I, I will say because quality, you know, like I said, I, I there's there's ranchers that that they do produce uh, cows that are bred humanely and wow. and grass fed, grass finished. I, again, I'm not all for, I'm not for factory farming, but um, there's people that do do it right, mm -hmm. do do, and and that place you can get get that type of um, meat from there and it's actually you, and there's a quality and you could taste it absolutely you yeah. could definitely see the difference well circling back favorite food i think i'm a sushi fiend like um, really yeah so that's why i'm not plant-based because I, I don't think i'll ever give up fish or sushi so it's a really common thing for me just to order a bunch of slices of fish from a like sashimi 
Oh, yeah? Yeah, so I'll just get a ton of sashimi and maybe some seaweed um, salad and just, like, go to town. And it's, like, my favorite thing to do, um, my favorite thing to eat. I mean, Ratasha hated sushi when she met me. And Did she really? She hated it so much that she's like, I'm going to give it a try. And now she loves it. You never got sick from it? No. No? Never no, got? I've, I've given, I've gotten sick from other stuff. Because if you eat a lot of raw, f- raw fish, you're bound to get no, something. No, I don't eat a ton of it. Like, once a week. You okay. Know, once a week or once every other Sushi's week. Sushi's the bomb, man. Now meal. you're getting me hungry. Yeah, it's my now favorite. I go, oh. like, now I got to go to sushi this week. Yeah. A good sushi roll or a good sashimi slice. Like, I love white tuna. It's like butter. It's so good. That's Damn, like my favorite man. meal. That and pizza. I mean, who doesn't love pizza, right? I know. It's, it's too bad you can't eat sauce, though. Ah, white sucks. pizzas with ricotta. You it's really it good. Ricotta, and I love meatballs on my pizza. Oh, that's, man. That's like the way to go, you know? Oh, it's unbelievable. Meat. So, like I said, like I'll save. I won't eat meat all week just so I can have a, a meatball. Olive ricotta, oil, cracked uh, black pepper. Woo. Yeah, that was actually, uh, maybe it's TMI, but that was my first date with Ratasha. We made pizza. That's not TMI. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. Oh, you guys, made, where'd you make a pizza? At your house? Yeah. Oh. I, I, I bought all the raw stuff or the, the ingredients to make a pizza at home. That's and cute. Made pizzas and it was awesome. and I can't have red sauce, so I had a pesto base. But I got her red sauce, so she can have her red sauce pizza. That's nice. Because, I mean, who the hell doesn't love pizzas? I Everyone know. Loves pizzas. Yeah. So if you're making pizzas and you guys are enjoying pizzas, you're getting off to a good start. Yeah. Right. Right. So now you guys got to do that again. Now you guys are gonna have to make pizza. Yeah, oh, you do. Okay. I was gonna say. Now you're gonna do it again. Yeah, we've been together for long enough that we've made pizza a couple of times. It's one of our favorite things, actually. That's pretty Every cool. We've done it. Oh, we've only done it twice. I'm going to get Ratasha on the podcast. I want to get her on. Yeah. She's a cool one. She's been through a lot. But um, she, she's a driving force, though. Like, she is just so active that if I'm ever going to stay keep up with her, I have to keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome because. Of course. There's definitely been times in everyone's life, probably, where you slow down a little bit. And yeah. Focus too much on work, or you focus. To me, that's something very important that I've learned is like, you know, don't get stuck on one aspect of your life. Make sure that you're maintaining a good family relationship, good health, good energy levels. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's hard sometimes. I have a problem with that because I can zone in. My superpower is zoning in. Like I can zone in for 48 hours and not sleep. On a oh yeah, I could see. I could see you doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually the reason that my boss was like, "Hey, I want you and I to start a department together because like, I would be at the office day and night, and I'd be like, "Hey, is it weird if we get like a bed in here?" And they're, they're like, "What? Who's this guy? Bring this lunatic in here. I want him." But while I was while I was in uh, while I was at college, I got a cot in in the lab because I would work so much that I wanted to sleep in the lab. Um, oh my so goodness like, that's what they they want people like you man yeah my boss and i talk about it sometimes because he grew up as a gamer a heavy gamer and that's why that's why he's able to go these long days without sleeping and i play video good games good gosh <laughs> you fucking gamers man but like I, I really do agree with i realize he's right like the, the the times that i stayed up all night is because i played like a video game like a super mario or something weird you know to try to beat it more advanced games and, and i I didn't want to shut it. I needed to finish. Yeah. So, like, you know, 36 hours in, I have maybe slept one hour, and I'm just going through the motions of getting it done. And no like, way. That capability has driven, like, it really has given me ability to zone in. Even in school, you know, I could go, I could study without sleep for a couple of days and really stay at a high level. 
that put me at an advantage, in my in my opinion, and I still have an advantage because of it. And I think I can attribute that to maybe playing video games when I was younger, which is weird to say, but my well, boss convinced me of it because he's the same way. <laughs> he's able to stay up for two days on a project. Like we we've had projects and well, deadlines where we have like ten surgeons lined up for a lab, and if we don't stay up every night working on the code and working on the, the prototypes will have wasted $200,000. So, like, we have to do it. We have no choice. But you know what it is, Joe? I think it's you guys are so interested in what you do, and you're so passionate yeah. about the results. And yeah. that's the same thing in a video game. It awakens that thing in your brain where you're actually interested in it. It's like a good book. You can't put it down. you got to keep reading it. Yeah. You want to know what's happening. So, like, the video game and what you do, when you're lucky enough to do something that you love and you're so passionate about and get excited about that it keeps you awake. And yeah. that's something that people don't have a lot of. And that's pretty cool that you found that, you know? Yeah, I think I'm very lucky in work. Because cause I, I love video games. I don't play them. I don't have them now. I wish I did. But, dude, I remember playing a, a video game. I remember God of War. I love that game for PS2 or whatever. Now they have it for all the PlayStations. But that game was so freaking awesome. And I could stay. I could play that game for hours. So I know that feeling. But you get that feeling What's with crazy, work. Though, is think about all the people that have never had a feeling yeah and it's crazy but they get it from video games some people you know know, obviously a lot of people don't play video games but like but like for work yeah if you don't find it in work if you don't find it in games where else i find it in books too like if you don't have that thing that keeps you so interested i know man it's weird it's weird and you don't find that in your life then i think you really need to search harder yeah, or it's pick up some new things. Yeah, life is not it's not worth not trying to figure that out. You search high and low for it. I whoever listens to it, the five people that listen, search high and low for that feeling because it's not worth it, you know. Don't don't just go through it like a drone. Yeah, go find that feeling. Time, I I have a tendency where like I can go weeks and shut people out and and read books and and like, you know, do whatever I need and do work. Like, I used to work way more than I do now. Thank God I don't. So it's a blessing and a curse because I can shut out all relationships in my life for extended periods. You could seem, you seem like, zone in so you much. seem like that type of person. College, like, <laughs> killed me in college, man. Like, you know, I was so addicted to what I was doing in my lab. That's, that can be a good thing. It can it's, be. It's a really bad thing if you don't know how to manage it. Yeah. If you find something you really love and you don't know how to balance you know, it it really is detrimental to all your relationships. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, that person's important, but as soon as you turn around, you look back at what you're doing in, in the lab or at work or whatever, in a video game or reading a book, and you get so into it, you forget about everything else, you're making a major mistake, and, and you can really hurt people's feelings. And I don't know. Definitely, it took me a long time to start to be able to shut things down and say, all right, it's going to be just as good tomorrow or next week when I go to get back to it. Yeah. Um, it's good you identified that. I mean. Oh, man. I, this is maybe two years ago where I stopped working, you know, like 90-hour work weeks. Um, it really, it hurt some, some, some relationships that were I, I was, I've been in in my life. Did exercise help you with it? With, like, finding that balance? I think. Training? Why I will not stop exercising and, and coming ATP or whatever it is, is that I'm quiet a lot in the gym, and that's because that's m- 
my thoughts filtering and flushing out of me. So it's it's like great when I'm here and I I had a really busy day and it's not yeah. it's not like it was a bad day. It's just like I had to tear myself away from the office to come here, and it's great. I love it here. It's this great like I'm blessed to be able to come here and like shut it all down, switch it up, and now I'm doing physical work that opens up a different avenue of my brain. I feel like, and now I'm not as addicted to work somehow because. Ah, I've been able to that's great to like exercise a different part of my brain and my body so I'm not thinking about work anymore and now all of a sudden my mind has like kind of reset and I'm open to new things you know I'm, I'm at home after working out the gym like okay I don't need to think about work anymore I'm okay with you know working on other things or thinking about other things which it's a release man it, it's insane how important it is yep it really is I never thought I would say this, but running is also great at doing Oh, that. man, running. I'll tell you, man, it took uh, me years. Oh, God, it's disgusting that I'm saying this. Yeah. Hey, man, we all we all fall victim to it. Once you run and you keep going at it, it changes your life. It really does. I don't care who you are. It does. Running changes your freaking life. And longer distance, even changes it changes it even more. Oh, I'm it, not there yet, but I think hey, man. there's a possibility. Because I'm where I'm at right now, which I'm only doing four or five mile distances, um, I never thought I was going to even want to do that. That was so hard for me before. It's hard for everybody, dude. Yeah. There's, I can't tell you. I don't care how many miles I've ever run in my life or in a race. It's still not easy to go out and run five miles. It's crazy, man. It's still not easy. It never will be. It never will be. It's not like, oh, you ran this amount and you can run five miles. It's like, still not easy. Still got to do it. It still feel great after, though. It, it always does. feels great. It really does. Yeah. It's just it's 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 really like it's like meditation. It's insane. That's how I feel. How you during, think especially so? Especially during the Spartan races, like I'm come super on, man. So we're going to Virginia next week to do the super, and I'm so excited. It's it's a challenge, right? I've never done an eight mile or super. Yeah. But I have the most fun when I'm. I don't. I'm a competitive person, but I don't need to compete at the Spartan races. I really just have a great time. Just pushing yourself, pushing just myself. pushing yourself, yeah. yeah. And exactly. you see what happens in the end. Time. So we're running it open, Natasha and I, and I honestly, I'm so excited for it because that feeling of like being there and accomplishing these, um, like how often do you get to have a bunch of chat, like 20 or 40 challenges in your life within a two hour span and overcome them? Yeah. Because that's what a Spartan race is. Yeah. That's someone giving you the gift of 40 challenges that you can overcome two hours and you get that feeling of just, just like i don't know that great feeling that it, you've accomplished so much in this short period of time it's true man that's, that's awesome what's great about even coming here you know this isn't a normal gym where you're lifting weights you accomplish a rig in a day or you accomplish you know jumping higher than you did before and yeah flipping a tire you couldn't flip i think that's why i fell in love with coming here is you really can set goals for one workout and walk away with accomplishments that you didn't think you were going to be capable of an hour ago. Yeah. And, and that's just what it's like. You damn engineer. Thinking about it like an engineer. <laughs> when I listen to you talk, yeah, I was like, dude, this like, guy's not a, this guy doesn't think normal. I know. No, it is. I couldn't do a ring, you know? I couldn't do it. Yeah, now you're getting through a 50-foot rig. I'm almost getting through those. That, these, uh, this is a tough rig today, man. Slings, man. Slings. Those are finger breakers, dude. They're amazing, though. They're, what, what a great training tool. But, man, they're, they're, they're a beast of a tool. But that's what it is here. You know, you get over, you get over fears. You get over a lot of things. And you, 
you get to push yourself and prove what you're capable of to yourself. And you cleanse the mind, man. That's the most important thing. It's just when you physical activity, physical exertion, it's just it makes you think differently. I think so. Absolutely. I mean, that's why, you know, I won't I'm a very quiet person when I'm in the gym because I just want to shut off. That's where I go from high strung to kind of zoning out. And yeah. Kind of going to a lower pace for my brain. And if I don't do that, I, j I won't be able to sleep at night, you know? I yeah. I walk over to my computer and I start working on ideas. Oh, no. And I can't freaking stop. You so can't stop. I have to come here, <laughs> flush it out, to be able to go home and think of, like, you know, even, you know, I want to be with Ratasha and I want to be there with her. And I don't want to be thinking about work or something like yeah. that. Yeah. To be able to do that, you have to turn it off. And I work with some people that are like, yeah, no computers at home and nothing like that. And I understand that mentality, but. There's also just go to the gym and shut it off so that you can switch gears in your brain. And now yeah. You're able to kind of focus on someone else or something else. And that's super important. It is. Yeah. And it's good that you identified that. You know, sometimes people don't and they don't fix that aspect of their life. But you said like you've been through that in college and whatever and and you you fixed it, you know, yeah. through different avenues, different interests. Any way you can, man. Is there anything that you're curious about? Like that you're interested in that you haven't partaked in yet, partook in yet. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's a thousand things I want to do. Give me something. What do you got? Um, a sport, uh, a place that you haven't been to. Traveling's cool and all, but that's probably not going to be it. Um, for me, I think that I do love sports, and I do kickball and stuff like that. I'd love to find a sport or a team. I like soccer a lot. Yeah. That's you just made me think of that with sports. I do miss sports a little bit. Um, this is a sport that what you're doing here, though. Yeah. Not necessarily a team sport in a certain extent. There is. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can do the team aspect of this. Absolutely. There's different team events. Yeah, but I think that like something I do really want to get into is I want to get more into advanced technology. I know that doesn't make sense, but... I know, it seems like you're doing pretty advanced st stuff. Of, yeah, a lot of what I do with technology development is applying technology that's already um, in use today. So, like, you know, I take a chip that's already being used, and we write new algorithms, and we pass it through an AI, and we use it for a new method, you know? So I take these tools that are already on the market, and we apply them to new okay. technologies and to new form factors. And I really do like that, but... You know, I really have been thinking towards the future and what that's going to look like, you know, how computers are changing. Uh, they're going away from where we are today to, you know, these new style of computers, uh, advanced computing. And I kind of want to be a part, I think, of the next generation of technology and see what that looks like. So that may be the future of my career, I hope, which is less of applied technology and more of like, you know, new, new creative technology. Technologies. And the part I don't like about that is that you usually end up at a college to do that. And I loved working at, at a university and, and being part of a lab. But I don't think I ever want to give up, you know, working for a company or working with a company or having a company. Because private in or industry is just, it's so rewarding. And when you're at a college or a university, uh, the research takes like freaking forever. It takes like 10 years. Yeah. And it's slow. Um, really don't have as many deadlines. So if you were working in your lab that you're working in now and you can come up with new stuff, like just build new technology and 
crazy advancements. That's. Yeah, I'd want to. I think what I would love is if I could get become a part of maybe like a large group, like almost like a think tank of, uh, of engineers. Like Tesla, like working for Tesla or something, like for Elon Musk. They're they're still applying technologies we already have. Like yeah. That's still what I do. You know, that's technology development. I'm talking about like you know such far fetched stuff that you'd only read about them in books. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like a lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> that would be you know, so what's great. That, what's the next generation going to be? Because really, when if you actually sit down and you look at all the technology that you're like, wow, look how cool it is to be in 2020, and we've got all this cool technology like electric cars. And, all, and it's like, honestly, my mentality about that is like, no, it, that technology has been around forever. You know, we've had batteries forever. We've had electric motors forever. We just had a, an engineer who figured out how to put it together in a package that people will buy. That's not what I. That's what I'm saying. I don't really. I enjoy it a lot, and I really love what I do. And that's applied technologies, advanced applied technologies. But in the end, you're using technology that's already been invented and gotcha. thought of. I, I think what's interesting to me, and what I really w hoping that I can be a part of in the future, is new technologies. Like not even phase zero. I don't even know what the heck you would call it. Because yeah. It's more theory. It's almost applying theory and coming up with, with applications of theory that's cool. that actually work out. That's cool that you want to partake that you want to partake in that challenge. That's pretty awesome. I do. I just hate what that comes along with, which usually means oh, yeah. working at a college. Yeah, I hear you. Won't pay as well, so I would have to eat that one. <laughs> so let me ask you something. Talking about prosthetics and things that you would make for people. So you're talking about knee replacement, shoulder replacement, hip replacement, things like that. Is that the kind of stuff that you're involved in? Yeah, very much so. And so it used to be metal, right? Like a knee replacement, for example, they used to be all metal. So no, um, that was a major mistake that happened recently with Stryker. But most of the time, um, a lot of the implants well, were partials. They were metal. Yeah. So you would le you would retain part of the joint, and you would replace, for example, like the femur with a metal implant. Okay. Or it would be a fixed metal joint with like plastic bearings. And then as they advanced, they became metal with, with plastic bearings, um, with bearing surfaces, the implants. And then at some point, some moron had the idea of doing metal on metal joints because, you know, they'll be sh it's a stronger joint. It lasts longer. Um, theoretically, it lasts longer, even though these things are lasting 20 years nowadays with the plastics we're using, with the material, the advancements in material science that we have. And it, on paper, it looked really good, but in reality, what ends up happening with a metal-on-metal metal implant is the joint over time, as your body kind of attacks it while it's in the body, and while it keeps going through all this wear and tear that you're putting it through, it kind of releases little particulate, metal particulate oh. in your bloodstream, and it poisons your blood. My mom had this happen. My mom had a hip replacement after falling on a, a four-wheeler, and um, she got a metal-on-metal metal striker hip, and she got blood poisoning. Shit. And... They had to take the metal hip out and put in the right, correct hip. Wow. This was like a whole, so many people got affected by this and had so many issues because of it. Um, it was a really poor design and probably looked really good on paper, but, and, and in clinical trials in a cadaver, it probably looked really good. But then when you actually get it into a biological system, there's so many factors that, that you can't um, simulate ahead of time. Um, they found out it was really bad. So yeah, most joints nowadays, sh actually all joints I know of that I work with, uh, spine, hip, spine, hip, knee, shoulder, are all going to be a metal and plastic bearing surface. 
so you're going in there, you're designing these things, and you're explaining to the surgeon how to put it in or how to how to operate it, pretty much, like how to. So, um, one of the main, like I said, this is one of the projects I'm on. But the main, the bread and butter of my current company is uh, is knee implants and shoulder implants, um, and then a little bit of spine implants, but mostly knee. So let's focus on knee. Um, so we're not the company that makes the Im the knee implant that stays in you forever. That's going to be metal and that's going to be plastic, a coated plastic. And that's when they close you up. That's what you're left over with. It's it's a metal femoral component, a metal tibial component, uh -huh. and then a plastic tibia, uh, like a bearing surface that sits on the tibia. And that's how your joint moves. Um, what we make is a sensor that's used during surgery. So while you're in surgery, the surgeon will trial the knee that they've just implanted. So they have to make a bunch of cuts on your femur and a bunch of cuts on your tibia and remove a bunch of bone so they can fit these new parts in there. And what they'll do is they'll put this sensor technology that we've come up with um, into the knee during surgery, and they'll, they'll, they'll put the knee through a range of motion. They'll put it through extension, flexion, and what it's doing is it's giving them feedback on loads. So it's telling them, how tight is the MCL and the LCL and the PCL? And what happens a lot in knee surgeries is a surgeon will, will make all his cuts and put in the implant and just kind of feel with his fingers how the soft tissue, how tight it is. Oh, and, and this and, is... And the patients, I mean, everybody knows a patient for shoulder or knee or something that has a too tight of a knee, and then they lose range of motion, and they can't walk later on, and it's all because the surgeon put in too tight of a knee or too tight of a shoulder. Um, and it, as a... On the other side of that, if they put it in too loose, it, loose, it, it dislocate, it'll dislocate. You know, they'll be going walking upstairs or they'll sit on their knee and they'll feel like a weird dislocation. So it's this weird balance you have to find um, when you're placing a knee to, to balance the medial and the lateral side and the PCL as well so that all those soft tissues aren't too tight, aren't too loose, and there's like a sweet spot. And five years ago, six years ago, we had no idea what that number was, no idea. So our company is really we've kind of paved the way for finding out what soft tissue balance looks like in the knee. What kind of loads should you see in the knee uh, from those soft tissues? And that's what we focus on. So we have a device that's a disposable. So my job is no way. making trash. It's freaking great. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a disp this, this device is a disposable implant that, um, that surgeons will use during surgery. That they'll, it's, a wire, it's a Bluetooth device that connects to a tablet. And it's really cool how it works. If I showed you, it's a it's an awesome GUI that connects to the device, and it shows the surgeon real-time data in the knee. So the surgeon's moving the knee and looking at the screen and seeing on, on – there's two compartments in your knee. There's medial and lateral. Yes. It's like a knuckle. Yeah. He'll be looking at both sides and seeing how much load is on each side. Should he redo his cuts? Um, you know, should he change the way that he's um, shimming the, the tibial component? Wow. There's a lot of decisions he can make. In the end, it just leads to better patient outcome, right? Like when you walk away from a knee surgery, well, literally, hopefully, um, if you don't have pain, you're going to move more. If you don't have pain in your knee because you don't have a super tight knee, you're going to have more range of motion during your PT sessions. But if they put in that knee too tight, you're not going to have the same range of motion. You're not going to want to do PT. You're going to stay on your couch because your knee hurts. And what ends up happening is those patients completely lose mobility. It's it's a it's terrible for them, and they lose range of motion, and they can't walk the same, they can't go up steps, and it's all. What'll end up happening is those patients will have to go back to the surgeon, and the surgeon has to put them under and like break their scar tissue up in their knee, 
and like basically take a, uh, a needle and poke holes in their MCL and their LCL to stretch it out. Wow. It's so painful. So we're giving the surgeon the tools to do this. And actually, I work with um, a company that rhymes with uh, Schmeko that makes a, a robot for knee replacement. <laughs> It's 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 a it's a it's a surgical robot, so it, it assists in knee surgeries, and um, so we work with them with the robot. So a lot of my time this year has been spent in labs with that robot in developing a device that helps aid in soft tissue um, balancing with the wow. robot. So this robot needs that input. The doctor needs that input when he's making the cuts with the robot to make the cuts correctly. Because if you don't. It, like, you know, say that I have a, a gymnast that comes in and I put the knee in a certain way versus someone who's not very flexible, I could really screw them up if I do it the same way. Yeah. Um, especially an untrained surgeon that only do, does five knees a year. And that happens, you know? Really? And they screws them over. And your soft tissue does not adjust over time. I mean, this is still something that's being worked, like, kind of developed. But in, from everything I've heard, and I haven't, the research still being done, right? This is a new science but um it's not something that if you put in a tight knee it's gonna adjust over time like you can keep stretching out that ligament and trying to break it in but it hurts and it really doesn't work out well for the patient in the same way if you, if you put in a loose knee their ligaments won't suddenly tighten up and yeah and you won't you won't suddenly gain that balance that patient's always going to have an unstable knee so they go to run and they feel like a jiggle in their knee when they're so they can't run anymore what do you do? You have to re completely replace the knee. Wow. And these things happen, you know? So but that's pretty cool that you're making technology to fix that. Yeah, so we're doing the same thing in the shoulder. That's another sensor I came up with. you got to come up with a design of how to do this mechanically. And um, it's a difficult challenge, and it's been really fun, actually, to do a lot of this. Because I've been involved in phase zero, like when you come up with the idea, you, you go to a bunch of cadaver labs with 3D prints. They break. Everyone hates you. I yeah. Got, you know, I've been through some serious failures. Um, but then you, you get success eventually from those failures. You learn from them, and then you end up with a product that's, man, the shoulder product that I worked on is just being released this week, and it's it's just really it makes me really happy to see that. It's really fulfilling. That's awesome, man. Yeah, to see a device that you kind of started with from phase zero and came up with with a team, of course. So it wasn't just me. And then it's 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 actually past DVT. It's, it, it's testing through the FDA and everything like that, and now it's actually being released and being surgery to help surgeons and to help Damn. people it's great that's awesome man yeah it's that's awesome. really cool yeah. joe this is awesome yeah yeah i mean if you have anything else you'd like to touch on please tell me is there anything else that you'd like to mention an hour and before four minutes <laughs> yeah man it went by fast who's still listening hi guys hey you know what hey they can listen to it in parts that's what i do we had a lot to talk about joe you're an interesting guy and you elaborate on your topics very well and I like that. I do. Oh. I have one thing I forgot to tell you. You asked me one way that I failed in historically. Yeah, let I me hear it. I wasn't going to talk about something in my career, and I used Ratasha to bounce this idea off of, and it was I failed as a as a father to my dog, pet owner, but I don't like saying pet owner. Why would you um, say that? In college, I got a dog, a pit bull, and I loved him. And for the first year while I had him, I was maybe a sophomore in college, and I would oh, he was always next to me. And then as as college got really hard, I lived off campus. I had I bought a townhouse. 
it was just hard to go back and like walk him all the time. I couldn't bring him to school with me, even though I wanted to. Yeah. So it got really hard, and I I would take him home all the time to visit my family. Obviously, every time I went home to Miami from Florida State, I would drive with him. And my mom, my mother had a dog at the time, and they were like they were inseparable. They were in love. So eventually, it got to the point where like I just I I would get so frustrated with him, like, and it wasn't his fault, but like you know, it would really add so much stress to me to go home and walk him.、Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to give him attention, but I always felt so bad that I was never. Enough. You know, I wasn't、yeah. taking him to dog parks. I know how it he is. He deserves so much more, and I always,、uh, I always felt really bad about that. So eventually, I gave him to my mother, and I was like, I just, I can't handle this.、Um, it was also every time I would take him down there, he would have such a good time. Yeah, but he's、my、happier. Had a big yard. Yeah. Yeah. So he was happier, but at the same time, like that's a wash, you know. Like I gave him to my mom. My mom, he, he was super. It got to the point where after I after I finished the hard parts of my college, I wanted him back, and I took him to live with me for two nights, and he wouldn't stop crying at the door. He was so mad to be with me. He、and、wanted like, to be with his、like、heartbreaking. He wanted to be back with my mom and and his buddy. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I failed. Like this was my dog, and now he's not anymore. And well, you didn't. That was a big. I felt like I failed there because I I had to give my dog to my mom, and that. I could see. So, I learned a lot from that. Exactly. I, I could see where you. I could see where you think that you failed, but you did the right thing in the end for the dog. Yeah, absolutely. The dog lived a great life. And it was happier with with、yeah. your mom than it was with you, you bastard. Fucking right. No, I was just kidding. He got to, to go run outside every day <laughs> when he had to pee. No, I know, and that's the thing, man. And I, I'm, I'm in a position that with my dog, that I gotta have to. You have to play with him more. You have to bring him out. You gotta.、Yeah. You gotta. Like. You have to play. Play ball. It's so hard. Like, how much, how much do you bring a dog out? You know, I feel like it's never enough. It's yeah. I feel like a dog is only happy when they're on a farm where they can run around. I know. Don't buy a dog if、but、you're gonna he, keep him in the house, fuckers. You, yeah, but then you go home and they cuddle with you and they're like, "This is a happy dog." Yeah, but he's really not because he's not. He is, but he's you're not, not for like ninety percent of the day feeding his natural, you know. No, so I learned a lot from that. He's got a. He's got a. He's got to run. That's it, man. Dog's got to play. Dog's got to play. Just like Joe, Joe's got to play. Joe, thank you so much, man. I had a great time, and you're you are definitely interesting, and you're you are who I thought you were. You remind me of Elon Musk. Dork. I will say, no, you're not a dork, a geek. Geek. But that's a good thing. Geeks are social. Geeks are in now. Very smart. Ask Alex. He's a geek. You guys could vibe, man. I'm telling you. Geeks are in now, man. Oh, absolutely. The geeks always get the chicks. Come on. <laughs> You know, work harder. Not really. All you guys gotta do is really talk to him, and that's it. And you're good. So hard sometimes. And then they, you know, they see how your your big brains and and you guys. <laughs> Joe, it was awesome. I'm gonna close it out with some music for you. All right, thank you. As always, guys, this podcast is brought to you by Atomic Training and Performance. We are at Atomic Training and Performance right now, and、uh, this is the home base. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoy, and you will hear from me. You will hear from me. You will hear from me very soon. Here's a little music for you. Hope you guys enjoyed, and、uh, stay away from the turlets. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>